0: It's time for TWIT This Week in Tech. We have a great panel for you. Stephen Levy, senior editor-at-large at at Wired, joins us. I love Stephen. Dan Gilmore, love him, too, from Arizona State University's Walter Cronkite School of Journalism. And, of course, coming on over from this week in Google, another professor of journalism, Jeff Jarvis. We'll talk about the end of magazines as we know it. William Shatner, Captain Kirk, going into space. Actually, Stephen was at the last Jeff Bezos launch. We'll be asking him about that. And Peter Thiel, is he evil or just misunderstood? It's all coming up next on TWIT. Podcasts you love.
1: From people you trust.
0: This This is TWIT. This is is twit this week in tech episode 842 recorded sunday september 26th 2021 the ivermectin of smartphones this week in tech is brought to you by worldwide technology and cisco with a return to of the office in sight are you prepared to safely welcome back employees and patrons do you have the right tools in place to support hybrid work wwt combines strategy and execution to bring clarity to reopening plans and implement solutions that enable flexible working, visit wwt.com twit to get started. And by Podium. Today's customers expect on-demand everything, even from local businesses. Stay ahead of the competition with Podium. They have free plans for growing businesses, plus all the power growing businesses need to scale. Get started free today at Podium.com slash twit. And by Modern Finance. Are NFTs here for the long haul? Which cryptocurrency is a fad? How does decentralized finance work? Modern Finance podcast, hosted by Kevin Rose, looks to answer these questions and many more about the investment marketplace. Download and subscribe to Modern Finance wherever you listen to podcasts and get ahead of the future of finance. And by Stamps.com. Save time and money with Stamps.com. There's no risk. And with my promo code TWIT, you'll get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to Stamps.com. Click the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in TWIT. It's time for TWIT This Week in Tech. The show where we cover the week's tech news with a distinguished panel. This week, it's such a distinguished panel, I'm just going to sit back and shut up and let them all talk. You already know Jeff Jarvis, the Leonard Tao Professor for Journalistic Innovation at the Craig Newmark Craig, Craig, Craig Graduate Craig Newmark. School of Journalism at the City University of New York without Aunt Pruitt to do the low base. doesn't work. We need three-part harmony. Side. So we brought Jeff in because you're going to run this show. I'm going to sit back because we have this is all journalists today, Re- and, and like the real deal, Dan Gilmore is here, co-founder of the Arizona State University uh, News Co-Lab at the Walter Cronkite Journalism School, longtime observer of journalism, and of course an active journalist. Uh, it's good to see you, Dan.
2: Nice to be back.
0: And uh, the man who specializes in slow journalism, <laughs> at least that's the last <laughs> time I talked to you, that's what you called it, <laughs> editor-at-large at uh, Wired, Stephen Levy. It's great to have you, Stephen. I appreciate it. When did oh, each of you, you start done. covering yeah. tech? How, how long do you each go back? Oh, God. Stephen uh, wrote the uh, seminal exactly. tech book, Hackers, about the MIT hackers. I think it's 30 years now, isn't it?
3: More more. That book was out in 1985.
0: Holy cow. I've
3: heard, wow. I, and I got introduced to Hackers. Um, an assignment I got in 1981 resulted in a 1982 story for Rolling Stone about called Hackers in Paradise. Uh, so the very early 80s is when
0: I started. Wow, Uncle Steve. That's pretty much when computers started. <laughs>
3: well, <laughs> yeah. at, that, at that time, most, quote, computer journalists were hobbyists. Yep. And at the end of the story, right. they would put... Um, uh, a little thing with their address and phone number in case you wanted to connect with them and call them up and ask them to type in a few lines of code or something.
0: <laughs> that that was me, actually. I was writing in Byte <laughs> Magazine in the early 80s as a hobbyist. And the reason I, I was doing it is because I was trying to get free software. <laughs> so I'd, re- <laughs> I'd review software and uh, hardware. Um, in fact, I wrote... So uh, when was your first tech tech piece? Me? Yeah. Uh, probably around 80. Yeah. Uh, it was pre IBM PC, so it would have been 80, 79, or 80. And right wow. around that time. When did you start?
2: I started using it in the 70s, but uh, as far as writing about it, probably not till the mid 80s. Yeah. You were,
0: wow. a, you were a sports writer for a while, right? Never. Never? Why do I think that? <laughs> I don't know why.
3: Um, yeah, I, I started as a rock critic.
0: Now, now you're talking. Actually, there is a. There, I always use an analogy uh, talking about tech because when we were in the early days of tech, when it was hobbyist, it was a lot about speeds and feeds and what your processor was and how much RAM you had. And I always likened that to the early days of uh, stereo magazines like Hi Fi. Yes, uh, where that's it wasn't even about the music. It was like you listen to the 1812 Overture because there was cannons and ringing bells, and that really tested your subwoofers. Uh, and it wasn't until Rolling St- roughly around when Rolling Stone happened that suddenly it went from being about the equipment to being about the content. And I think we had a kind of an analogous transition in technology, where nobody, uh, Apple and Microsoft both announced new computers this week. Uh, Microsoft uh. mentioned Microsoft mentioned you know processors and RAM, but Apple Apple barely does anymore.
3: Oh, I don't know about that. They have a whole lot of Crazy made up buzzwords to describe uh, the technology and their chips. And I think, you know, we could talk about this. So I think the big shift in Apple is its move from a design company to a silicon company to
0: a chip company. Well, there's, there's certainly that. I mean, the st- design is still premier, but you're right. But now that they're doing, they replaced Intel with their own silicon. You're Actually, that's a good point. They are talking much more about speeds and feeds. That has suddenly become a differentiator.
2: Uh, yeah, from when, they, when they bought Palo Alto Semiconductor some years back, uh, uh, almost nobody picked up on what that meant for where they were heading, and I certainly didn't. And it was, uh, in retrospect, that was quite the break from the past, and boy, have they made some strides with uh the semiconductors
0: i think it was always steve jobs idea that you make both the, the whole the full stack you make software and you make hardware mm. uh, going back to i think alan Kay saying you know if you want to control technology you've got to make it all you can't you know outsource the software you can't outsource the hardware it took them 30 plus years 40 years to do it but they now and they're still not doing it they still have what uh, tim cook calls legacy nodes Old chips that they have to put in their stuff, but they're rapidly moving in that direction.
4: But I think it's also where, where you're headed here. It's it's the Clay Shirky argument, not not that he's the only one who makes it, but that the interesting thing starts ha- starts happening when the technology becomes boring. Yes, I think that's and, and exactly I think right. we may be at that point because you know you've complained, oh Google didn't do anything this year. I, uh, what the hell? And and I think that that's that's actually a good sign. Is when we because that that democratizes it too. It means that we we don't feel as intimidated by it. We we have more power over it. It's uh, yeah. It's just, uh, pretty it's just you, a pretty impressive. Let me ask. It it seems
2: actually. to me we have less power over it every year because control is accruing into the into these companies more and more. Um, and that's a separate issue. But uh, the more Apple locks down everything,
1: mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. the more.
2: Point control it asserts over its entire ecosystem even if the uh judge will push them a little bit in one direction i'm not sure that congress ever will
0: that'd be a good conversation for the three of you uh big tech and the threat big big tech poses or does not pose to our polity um you know certainly we talk about it on This Week in Google, and Jeff, I think it's safe to characterize you as, as uh, on the side of big tech a little more than on the side of government. No,
4: no. Uh, I'm on the side of the Internet and fearing regulation of the Internet through big tech.
3: Which puts you on the side of big tech, really, in, in, a, in a way, because... It, <laughs> <laughs>
4: Thank you, Stephen. I've been telling I wish, them this all this time. Better, I wish they were a better <laughs> ally for the Internet, Stephen. Yeah. yeah. Often, especially Facebook, a terrible... Uh, they make it real hard to defend the internet sometimes, as long as they're proprietors. But they're not; they're not forever proprietors. That's my point. Did did Stephen? When uh, and I,
0: this is for everybody, but I'll start with you, Stephen. I was certainly um, a, a, an internet optimist. I was I was of the um, you know the what is it people people of the internet. Um, you know, we, we what John was, Perry Barlow. John Perry Barlow's fabulous yeah. manifesto. I I thought this was going to democratize. Everybody's going to get a voice. It was going to change the world. It was going to disintermediate. The incumbents would tumble. Um, And in fact, some of that happened, but I think we, I didn't really anticipate the negative consequences of it. Uh, Stephen, were you were you an optimist back there in the eighties about what technology would bring? Well, I, I tilted
3: towards the optimistic side. I always had an eye out. For abuses and things like that, you know, I had a, a skepticism to anything big. But, um, look, I, I thought it was a way to smash the oligarchy of, you know, telecom and yeah. all sorts of other nodes of control. That this could take it down and you know, could would amplify individual voices. Facebook's proved that amplifying individual voices could be the most dangerous thing that could ever happen. <laughs> <laughs> so um I think the you know the you know we i've always used the term you know among among many people using the term about this being a double edged sword, but uh I didn't realize how sharp that
0: bottom edge was had we known better uh is there something we could have
4: done oh Lots, but each of those things we imagine now could have had other consequences, right? Like the folks who argue that anonymity is bad and that's what caused the, the evils. Well, if we, had, if we had created a system from the beginning of verified identity, then it'd be even better for the authoritarians. Um, it'd be even worse for vulnerable populations. So the, the, the problem, yes. I mean, I, I think the thing I would say, Leo, is it ain't done yet. It's not, the internet is not baked. The point is that we've got to figure out how to take it back. Um, this is what my friend, Doug Rushkoff argues often, right? We're doing take and, 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 see if it's funny And we come at this from different ends. I was talking to Doug the other day, because we're going to teach a course together in the future of the internet, designing the internet. And, um, Doug who wrote throwing rocks at the Google bus. And I wrote, what would Google do? And Doug laughed at some point, And he said, you know, we end up at the same place, but we get there differently. He said, I, Doug said, I want less evil. You want more good. But we end up at the same place where we want, a, we want we want to take charge of the internet again. We want we want to own it again. We want to imagine what it can be again. And and I think that the the, the question is is that possible? If you think that it's done and that Google and Facebook and company are the forever um, uh, proprietors of it, yes, then that's cause for for suicide. I don't think um, it's. But done. if you think there's time, it's different. I don't think it's done. But I think the time for us to. Uh, change it or to influence it is is rapidly disappearing oh no watch out leo you're gonna guys i do this on twig now you're gonna get my gutenberg out <laughs> it's, it's it's 150 years after the printing press before we created the newspaper the modern novel the modern essay and a market. But it's as if plays. one company owns the printing press
3: yeah i don't think we
4: have 150 years to spend before we find solutions to this no but I think we, we we will invent new things that we can't imagine today because we see the future in the analog of the past. Dan, when you talk to your students uh, who grew
0: up in the middle of this, they're like the fish in the ocean that doesn't know about water. Are they aware of how things have changed? <laughs> and,
2: <laughs> they're a little bit aware. They're not... Uh, what, what, what I'm heartened by is when I show students things about uh, the the control and centralization and what uh, what's actually going on, they get alarmed. They don't want to be controlled by uh, huge enterprises and governments. They want to be able to do things themselves. I, going back to your question a minute ago, though, if, one thing we could, have been done, we could have been doing all the way through this is to be a little more active in helping people uh, understand basic civics, as we used to call it. And we threw that away with STEM education, and we better bring it back.
0: Oh, that's an interesting point. Hmm. I mean, I've always considered my mandate uh, to, to teach people about technology— Uh, so that they are empowered in the face of, in the early days, I thought it would be a government that would use technology against them. And now I think it's, you know, it's industry that uses technology against them. But in both cases, people uh, need to take back the power by learning how to use technology and learning how it can be used against them and, and learning what to do to defend and that kind of thing. And that's not changed over the last 30 years. At all. I mean, that's still a mandate and I think it's still something. Yeah. But why civics? What uh, I mean, what part of well, civics do they need to learn?
2: Well, I'm talking about in a very broad way. I'm talking about participation. I mean, this, it, let's stick to the U.S. for the moment. But uh, we talk about democratization of things that, that if participation is the duty we have in a democracy, it's not just voting. It's participating in developing our future, and technology is giving us incredible tools that's true. to do that if we choose. Yeah. But we have to do it better. And so Dan I, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
4: can I ask you a question, Dan?: yeah. um, So civics is normally tied with the nation and government. Right. So let let me ask you to spread that out and say, what does Internet civics look like? What does Internet governance in your vision then look like? What's the civics of the net?
2: That's something we're still trying to understand and figure out. But it does start with recognizing that uh, we are all part of it. We're not uh, we're not these endpoints of consumption. Where all we do is sit in front of a screen and go like that. we do it's something much more interesting, which is that we're instead of consumers, and this goes, we we've known this for twenty years, but we're starting to maybe do something about it. But we're consumers are participants and creators, and they're collaborators. Yep. If yep. we help them do it, and I, we're not yeah. we're not doing enough of that, and we're not helping people understand what they can do themselves. Uh, they, I, I go nuts hearing the constant cries to the platforms, do something, do something, do something. Well, what exactly? And what can we do? What can we do exactly. about some of this ourselves?
4: Which was your great optimistic book, which I loved, which was also a a, a, a an ur text for me, which is We the Media which you wrote, Dan, in what year?
2: 2004. I, I would point out that there are th- three chapters about what could go wrong. And <laughs> I, I confess I did not anticipate how badly things might go wrong. And it preceded social media, except for what was then social media, which was blogs. Uh, and
4: Ah, uh, those were the days.
2: The, yeah, well you can't you can't anticipate what's going to happen at least I'm not very good at it I think Stephen here is the only one who's got the cred for having done that for a long time and and leah is, is there too but we're not i'm not I'm not a good predictor of technology I just know it's going to get faster and more connected
3: let me let me take advantage of the people on this panel, they ask this question, everyone bemoans the loss of blogs, but if blogs were so important, wouldn't have they continued to find that audience? You know, couldn't have been that, you know, there wasn't some giant hand to say, you know, we've changed into platforms. There's no more blogs. Uh, You know, maybe now what we thought of, everyone mentions, what we thought of blogs is now part of a Substack rising or things like that. But, Uh, You know, I question that this golden age of blogs maybe wasn't something that people loved so dearly if we let it go away.
2: I'm not I wasn't saying that at all. I think people I think blogs ended. No, it's a
3: question. It wasn't it wasn't moving.
2: Blogs ended up on Twitter and Facebook to to a degree, because uh, for people who wanted to reach a lot of people, a lot of other people. That was more likely that they would the uh, when you know Google killed off or tried to kill off r s s uh that was a big blow to blogs. That was again a centralization thing, but you know blogs took a lot of work, and they're they're mm-hmm. still good, and there' there's people are still doing it. It's just that there's now other outlets that are
4: easier to do. Well, there's, yeah, there's also podcasts. Yeah. Twitter, Twitter there's, ruined there's, me for blogging.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, you could also make a point that uh, blogs lost the ability to monetize, and that might have also not not helped a little bit. Well, could, and, and, could, the, blog, and the blog was you, never but it's great. going to be a hobby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. It, I think the but same thing happening to podcasting uh, right now, which is, uh, you know, it's going to be hobbyists and big companies, and that's there's nothing in between.
4: So I asked similar, Dave similar, Weiner. Blogs. I asked Dave Weiner, who, you know, was one of the, one Has of never the, never stopped blogging, blogging, actually. <laughs> never stopped blogging. And I said, and, and I, I was, I was um, lamenting the loss of some of the wonderful days we had blog roles and we loved each other and we, you know, we talked to each other. And he said, Jeff, I said, everything is great when it starts. Yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a small group of people, mostly who knew each other.
4: It was yeah. a very different environment. We got to know each other. Yeah. And that's how I got to know Dan Gilmore. Yeah. You know, way early on, I don't, and Dave held the first blogger con, and we were
0: there. I don't think blogs went away. I think people have found more and of uh, varied ways of uh, expressing themselves, mm-hmm. and, and blogs are still part of that, but not maybe as dominant, because there's other yeah. other ways to do
4: it. Well, media took them over for a while, right? So the New York Times first mocked blogs, and they were awful, and then they started doing blogs, and it started to change right. the voice of the New York Times, and then they rejected blogs, right? Then it was Then it was yesterday's tissue. Um, I, I, there's a book by Charlton McElwain, who is the deputy provost at NYU, uh, called Black Software, that goes through the parallel creation of black uh, cultures uh, online, the various uh, efforts mm-hmm. to do this. And and a similar kind of, of arc happened where they got some got co-opted by big companies like AOL, and then other other flashy things came along. And and it just kind of, a lot of it went away. What if we, instead of saying blogs, what if we say the ability of uh, the
0: average person to have a voice and a way to publish, which is part of this promise that More we thought of the internet, which w- w- was that everybody would have a voice, there'd be a democratization, you wouldn't have to have a publisher or a radio station or a TV station, mm-hmm. you could do that yourself, that all has blossomed, has it not? Everybody has a voice. In fact, really, that's the problem now, is that everybody has a voice, uh, it was uh, no, they do, was they Andrew do. Keen, right? It was the cult of the amateur. Is that's? Oh, that? oh no! Oh no! 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 no, no. no. You know, when there when wasn't
3: when there wasn't many people on the internet, and you didn't have that power of the platforms, uh, that was more true. You can still speak up, but I feel that Google, I mean, really, It's effectively the only search engine we have.
0: Is not going to rise you up. Like it used to. But it doesn't Uh, need to. If you are a TikTok star, you don't use Google to rise up through the ranks at TikTok or YouTube. So uh, it was a Google property.
3: Well, the content you do really isn't what we're talking about. You look at what goes viral on TikTok. um, It's not the same kind of thing. It's an an entertainment channel. I know there's satire and other things in there, but um, it's it's a different kind of – Giving voice, you see on TikTok, than you used to
4: have on blogs or even that you do have on Twitter. But, but this notion of going viral is a vestige of mass media think that the only things that matter are the things that are big and at scale. And what we saw in the blogging world is when, you know, tech bloggers got together, it was tiny, but they mattered to each other. They, it was enough for them. And then after 9-11, the war bloggers came along, of which I was one, the political bloggers of that time. And, and we had our communities. And I think the same could be said of, of Black Twitter today, for example, where you don't need to have everybody. And scale matters in the business model. It doesn't necessarily matter for the good of the communities involved. The,
2: the, the formation of community of, of various kinds – in, in all of these spaces is kind of the most, for me, the most interesting the where it's yep. large community, small community, middle, but, uh, the, the, as bad as some of them are, uh, the Facebook group has had a huge impact in a lot of places. And I'm thinking about geographically, uh, the small town we live in next to San Francisco, uh, There's no journalism ever done by traditional media about our town unless something bad happens or there is something that they find annoying and want to write about or cute. And yet in the Facebook group for our little town, that's where the news is. And it's very useful. It's not like we're uh, people are posting it's just stupid things it's it's a well moderated place where we tell each other what's going on and people research and find out uh this is I, i'd rather that it wasn't on facebook i'd rather that it was not on some centralized platform but it's the best we have at the moment and it's things like that that make me always step back and say this overall technology what we're talking about is incredibly important for the voice that it's giving to people who did not have voices in the way we need them to live better civic lives and communicate with each other
0: is that kind of what you envisioned with we the media i mean that's kind of what you were talking about right
2: it is i just didn't anticipate that it would be uh, On Facebook. In, in places <laughs> controlled by very, very big companies that uh, are unable by definition because moderation simply does not scale. It can't be. So,
4: Dan, our, our, don't feel our, bad about it. Gutenberg didn't didn't anticipate the Thirty Years' War, <laughs> you know? Do mm. uh, so uh, you feel better, Dan? It
2: still happens. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. I have to think through that
0: one. I don't think <laughs> you anticipated uh, that a young woman named Darnella Frazier would post a video of George Floyd being beaten to death mm. that would transform the nation. And that was on Facebook. That's a civics. That's an act of civics. Yes? Yeah. So
2: it let sure me tell you something interesting.
0: interesting. Go ahead, Dan.
3: No,
2: Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, Steve. You
3: go. No, I mean, well, well, Mark Zuckerberg didn't anticipate that either. I, yeah. I looked into uh, some of the people uh, who were helping set up Facebook Live, worried about um, people killing themselves or committing acts of violence on it, which also yeah, happened. That's right. And, um, but, you know, Facebook blew past them and came up with the product. Um, it's... Uh, You know, when you have that critical mass of people, that network effect of of people, all kinds of things can happen. And the question of Facebook is, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, he'd love to hear, you know, that this discussion so far with what Dan's saying, because. He feels as meaningful groups is really a core value of Facebook and proves that it's worth it. The question is, what's the cost of the things that aren't so good uh, that we see on it? The, 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 the things that happen that their moderators can't get on t- in time or um, or let pass for political reasons. Uh, these, these That's what the Wall Street Journal piece essentially was about. Facebook researchers saying, hey, this is intolerable. One fifth the teenage girls who use instagram um are feel bad about themselves and we're making it worse uh is that worth the trade-off there is it uh, something that's like a fender bender in you know this you know, uh accumulation of good stuff or is it like a plane crash uh nice. and a lot of people feel it's the plane crash that you have to greatly minimize that kind of stuff you know one-fifth the teenage girls on Instagram are millions of, of teenage girls. And, you know, to have one company making millions of teenage girls feel bad and some percentage of that feel really bad and have mental health issues is something that people find tough to swallow. So, Stephen, I'd go ahead.
2: Go ahead. I, I know that's I know that's tough. swallow. I would like to know what percentage of teenage girls who watch popular television uh, or read 17 magazine or, or read, yes or, or basically who participate as consumers in more traditional forms of media which uh, for you know as long as I can remember have been exploiting images of women and girls and have been uh, touting certain body shapes etc Uh, And fashion and makeup and all these things and and sexualizing girls and women at very young ages. Uh, Did they feel worse about themselves? I don't know the answer, but I bet you there's research that would uh, tell us whether this is a whole new thing or something. Well,
3: I'm I'm sure I'm sure there's been research in those things. But, um, you know, I think. The stuff we saw come out in the journal was researched by the super experienced, expert, PhD level social scientists, people who can get a job at any great university, these people at Facebook that did studies that showed, you know, all that other stuff aside, you know, the impact of Instagram, you know, alone, isolated, was worse. You know, the, the people who watch TV and, read magazines and did all the other things um, with Instagram on one hand and without Instagram on the other hand, that was the difference. So presumably they isolated
0: Instagram in making their conclusions. The trick so, I have- obviously is how do you preserve the, ch- the chance for Darnella Frazier to post that video at the same time? I mean, it's the double-edged sword. I don't understand how
4: you can preserve the good and get rid of the bad. So Leo, can I, can I address that directly? Because I, I, I had a bit of an epiphany this week and I and when during a session that was put together by someone at the behest of the Facebook Oversight Board. Uh, and it was it a was, uh, Chatham House rule. And so I'll talk about what I, I said and thought. Uh, and the question was, Facebook has asked the Oversight Board to give them judgments about whether and what exceptions to have about Facebook's rule that you shouldn't have any identifying addresses or images of homes um, on Facebook. And whether there's a journalistic rule, a public policy rule, a protest, uh, I mean, exceptions to to those rules. Um, And and what occurred to me during that was that I think we in media have a role here in having set the terms of the discussion in media terms around content and bad content and erasing content, getting rid of things, as opposed to a service model. So Facebook hired 40,000 people now, 40,000 people to try to kill bad content like whack-a-mole. And and they created this rule about no address so that people wouldn't get harassed and wouldn't get, um, uh, you know, threatening things happening at their address. Fine. But at the same time, people put up their pictures of their Christmas tree lights outside their house, or I put up pictures of my house after Sandy, or there's other reasons to do it. But the, the desire to have a rule that an algorithm could enforce and 40,000 people could enforce in a content based world was any address bad. And it occurred to me two things. One, if George Floyd had been murdered on the driveway to his home, the algorithm might have killed the video before we saw it because you're trying to make a generalized rule about something. And second, what if instead of 40,000 content moderators, Facebook had 40,000 customer service people? And if someone felt that they were being harassed, they had someone who they could actually reach. Uh, But that's that's not the ethos that they have. You can't get any customer service at any of these companies. And so it's not about the problems. It's about we must create a rule that gets rid of all this stuff so we won't be in trouble anymore. And that is broken. A point, there's
3: not 40,000 content moderators. I think that Facebook says there's 40,000 people involved in safety and security, it includes those moderators, most of whom who are on contract. Um, right. The last figure they gave for the moderators was 15,000. And if they were customer service people, um, they couldn't handle a fraction of what they handle now. They have about 40 seconds to make a content decision uh, on average on the, on the things they say. I, I actually visited for my book, Um, Facebook the inside story in case you're wondering Um, uh, (laughs) perfect there we go Uh, and they you know um, and these people you know check into the office, or they used to check into the office. Um, I think they were, some of them are back in the office. And they just make a lot of decisions. A lot of them are really clear cut. Other ones aren't clear cut. Generally, they make them anyway. The, and the difficult ones, they kind of kick to a level upstairs. The really super, super difficult ones go all the way up to Mark Zuckerberg. But there are so many decisions that that's the problem. They can't sit there and make nuanced judgments and they understand this, you know, and Facebook feels that ultimately the answer is, well, we'll have an artificial intelligence to make zillions of these decisions. And a lot of stuff, matter of fact, is adjudicated uh, sometimes even before it appears by artificial intelligence, but um, still that's just a fraction. And when I asked the moderators, I said, do you ever feel that an AI can do your job? They just burst out laughing. That's just ridiculous. And the fact is... It's hard for a human to do, let alone... Exactly, exactly. It's one of those things that humans find it difficult to do. And it's particularly difficult when you don't have enough people in the different cultures and languages that Facebook covers in the world to make those decisions. It was patting itself on the back recently for saying, oh, we got... You know, these things solved in or, you know, were addressed in uh, 50 languages of the like 200 or whatever it is languages that Facebook is in, right? So, you know, wait a minute. What mm-hmm. about the people in the languages you don't cover? You don't get to pat yourself in the back because you cover some, but not all of the countries that you're in.
0: Is it your sense from writing the book and the research you did that they uh, are men of good and women of goodwill and that they want to solve this? Or that uh, they're using AI and uh, the scale problem as kind of a shield.
3: I think there are men, women of of goodwill, but uh, the will gets weak um, when it comes to uh, conflicts with growth and things like that. And particularly, that, that goes to to Mark Zuckerberg. I I don't think he's a Bond villain uh, necessarily, but he, he when decisions come to him and he looks at it and says. Hmm. you know, we could do a better job of this problem if we adopt this course that's going to cut down the time spent on Facebook. Um, he'll step back from that.
0: Yeah. Ultimately, think, he's motivated by uh, us making the company successful.
3: Yeah, He wants. he wants the company to remain successful for the future as far as you can see. And in order to do that, he can't slow down. He doesn't want to become Sun Microsystems, um, you know, whose former campus <laughs> is you know now part of the sprawling Menlo Park complex that uh, is mostly empty these days. But uh, and that's why he didn't take down the little sign that says Sun on the back of the board uh, there on Facebook Way. Um, if you walk oh, around, that's interesting. Sun, you can still see Sun. He wants a reminder they they're not going away.
0: His supposedly philosophy was always be, been that if, if people connect that's going to be a net positive. Does he still feel Definitely. that
3: way? Um I think he I think he still feels that way, but he will readily admit now that it's little more complicated than that. And there's also going to be a lot of negatives and Facebook will never get rid of all the negatives, but, um, will do its best.
4: That's, that's where he comes out. Stephen. what do you think of him? Cause you've had more contact with him as a journalist than anybody. And you've seen, you know, I, I also saw him in the early days, much more than I have in recent times. And he changed, he grew up. Uh, what do you think of the, of the, of the progression of Mark Zuckerberg? One way or the other. Um, I think
3: it's interesting. I mean, do do people change? I think he's grown. Um, He's he's had a kid.
0: He's gotten married. He's certainly more of an adult. And and his personality
3: has has, has matured. Um, I think he's always been the kind of person who is slow to trust other people. And I think if you go through a few years of the intense. Criticism and, you know, a lot of people hate the guy, you know, and that wall doesn't come down. Um, he also understands that um, he's got a, a lot of work to do. He constantly says it, um, but he's, he's a stubborn guy. He's a, he's a guy who won't make a big change until he, it's utterly clear to him. You have to make that. He believes that he'll come to a conclusion. He'll listen to all sides of of an issue um, and then he'll come to a conclusion. And then it takes a lot to move him off it. That's so different from
4: move fast and break things. Is that is that just. Well,
3: well, you know, move fast and break things is a product thing with him. You know, um, you look at something, you know, I I wrote a column once about the Facebook Oversight Board, which you mentioned, and it took, he thought of the idea, the idea was presented to him in early 2018. And, you know, it wasn't until three years later, then they got it going. So I mentioned, you know, when it comes to something that serves the community like that and, you know, it might impact negatively on the product, then it, it's move slow and think things over, guys. It isn't move fast and break things.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's uh, going to be facing the music a little bit uh, after the Facebook Files series in the Wall Street Journal Uh, apparently the whistleblower has now gone to Congress and according to the Washington Post offering the same trove of documents reviewed by the journal, uh, to Congress. And in fact, uh, Facebook is sending their global head of safety to testify about kids safety on Thursday, uh, before a Senate committee, um, this is going to be – this is going to – this is not over, in other words. Was it? Was the Facebook <laughs> Files a fair uh, – you know, sometimes uh, Jeff and I uh, doubt the Wall Street Journal's motives because of the Rupert Murdoch connection. Do you think the Facebook Files was a fair take on what Facebook is, uh, is doing?
3: I think Facebook could have some legitimate gripes about the contextualization of it. Um, I don't think reading the Facebook Files, uh, you got a sense – Uh, how difficult it is to solve these problems. But I think it's fair to say that uh, these problems are such that they demand bigger changes than Facebook has been willing to make.
4: Yeah, Uh, because that's a very fair statement.
0: Facebook has testified that uh, the company will not retaliate against the leakers behind the journal series. Uh, and the, what do
3: you mean? They they he constantly says, "If you leak, we're going to fire you." I yeah. mean, that, that, that's been can't. the message.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> then that would be that would be an that would be an exception to their leaking. Policies, apparently, let me tell you that.
0: apparently, according to uh, the journal, uh, the the whistleblower is seeking federal protection, federal whistleblower protection. So they may in fact be protected against retaliation. He would need a food taster when they reopen the cafes <laughs> and place. <a> <park>. Uh, Marsha Blackburn has received uh, reams of documents. She says so is the Securities and Exchange Commission. Uh, is this the kind of uh, thing that takes a, co- a company down?
4: How serious is this? 7 well, percent bigger than I, it was last year with all this stuff going on. Yeah. It's still growing. Yeah, I don't, I don't, and I don't, I
3: don't and it's bad for Facebook because I don't think Marsha Blackburn has a <laughs> clue about. The the, the context of things, I've seen her both in the room and, you know, on on video, um, uh, expound on Facebook, and um, she hasn't done her homework and and doesn't care to. So she's not a great person uh, for Facebook to have in the judges'
0: seat on this.
2: Yeah, the idea of putting Sirius and Marsha Blackburn in one sentence is...
0: (laughs) But she is an elected senator, admittedly, her motives might not be pure, but she is an elected senator uh, and it's also, it's also fair, to, you
3: know,
0: it's also but, fair you know, to note
3: that the, the the much of what facebook is doing is is not illegal you know it, it's not illegal for Facebook to you know operate under the First Amendment, which companies are and moderate. Content in a way um, where things happen to make people feel bad, or you know, even imperil the mental health of people. I mean, I, five minutes of Fox News makes me insane. So uh, maybe they should close. I should point out that
0: <laughs> not being illegal is not necessarily a uh, a problem for <laughs> Congress. Right? Uh, there, there is yeah. ways to make yeah. it illegal if it is legal right now. Well, yeah. no, you know, we still we have a lot of have- constitution for that. Uh, we have for the First Amendment, but honestly. Uh, at this point, Facebook has annoyed the left for one reason, the right for another reason. At least they agree on something, which hasn't been easy.
4: That Facebook's an easy folk devil to have in the moral yeah. panic, and that's what I panic about.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's take and, a little break. And, Go ahead, Dan. Yeah. Uh, final thought I, before I, we take I, a break.
2: Go ahead. Sure. It just it it's interesting that in all of this conversation, uh, the the among re- about remedies, the one that has not come up. Is antitrust uh, and uh, and also the re- some requirements that your data and conversations be portable and exportable, uh, which would have much better effect, I think, than ordering Facebook to uh, be the editor of the internet.
0: I wonder if Congress were smart enough to say we're we're going to f- uh, f- create a data portability act, for instance. Actually, there is one, isn't there? Didn't. Um uh, I thought uh, Ron Wyden introduced a, oh, yeah, a data portability you know, yeah. bill. I don't know yeah, what the status it, of that is.
2: There's a whole bunch of bills that were submitted or, or clustered together, uh, and that's part of it. And it's, it's more than portability. It's it's a it goes into the category that um, Corey Doctorow and the EFF have been calling adversarial interoperability, uh, which means basically that. Companies that uh, oppose each other in lots of ways still be required to make the data uh, in in put it in formats that can be used in a variety of ways and interoperate with each other that they can't lock down everything so that users would have much more and better choices. I think this is a really great concept, although. I'm not sure I'm looking forward to the uh federal department of interoperability. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, and let's be honest it, it seems unlikely that anything is going to come out of congress uh, at all um, let alone yeah. uh, something as difficult as uh, this to to parse. But boy it seems well, like that's know a good what idea. California
2: will. You know, yeah, California You do know what do it. California will do. Sure. Yeah.
0: Sure. Yep. Or Europe. Yeah. Well, yeah. Europe might screw it up too or China. You know, China, we'll talk about that in a second. China seems to, got to have the right idea at this uh, at this point. seems no Excuse me? They don't have that first amendment getting in the way of, uh, you know, regulating all this stuff. Uh we got a great wow. panel. Boy, do we have a great panel. Uh, Dan Gilmore is here. You can you can you can roast me later, Dan. I'll give you that opportunity. <laughs> Dangilmore.com, great to have you from the, the Walter Cronkite School at Arizona State. We also have Jeff Jarvis from the uh, Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at the City University of New York. And we also have Stephen Levy. Do you have any academic uh, credentials you'd like to tout? I've got a master's degree in English literature. (laughs) (laughs) And I am very proud to have, and I, I wish it were a first edition, but a signed copy of Hackers, one of the greatest books ever written. And this Facebook book is really good, too. You know, I feel bad because we had planned to interview you, then COVID, when the book came out, then COVID hit. And uh, all of those things went by. Yeah, I could have been in the studio.
3: Yeah, I know, blew it. One of many places I could have been on my books. <laughs> I could have, I could have, would have, should have that, that, that panel and that session in South by Southwest.
0: Oh I still,
3: man, yeah.
0: Sigh. Our show today brought to you by Worldwide Technology and Cisco. This was actually the last trip I took was to St. Louis last year in, in March. Uh, to visit their Advanced Technology Center. And it is, I'm glad I saw it. It's an amazing thing, and I look forward to going back out there. Worldwide Technology uh, is a great partner for any business looking to use the latest technology. Uh, And the Advanced Technology Center is Worldwide Tech's way of trying the technologies, piloting programs, researching, testing compatibility. It's a research and testing lab that brings together technologies from leading OEMs like Cisco, There's more than half a billion dollars in equipment invested in the lab. It started ten years ago in one building. It's it's four or five now, rack of rack on rack of amazing technology. By the way, I want to point out, you can use the ATC. You can test out, do the same thing that worldwide tech engineers do: products and solutions before you go to market. You get access there to technical articles, expert insights, demonstration videos, white papers, hands-on labs, all the tools. A modern business needs to stay up to date with the latest technology. The thing about Worldwide Technology and Cisco, they're partners. They, are, they work with you. And because Worldwide Technology understands that your strategy, your business goals have to be the informing your technology purchases, they're a great partner. They will work with you all the way through implementation to training and, and, and forward. I'll give you some examples, some case studies. You can find these on the Worldwide Tech page. There was a large design, we won't name names, just mention a large design and construction firm. Pandemic hit, they wanted to continue critical operations, but they also uh, wanted to make sure their staff was safe. And when the staff was started returning to office, they wanted a safe return. WWT came in, the consultants used expert knowledge, the Advanced Technology Center, in-depth analysis to maximize existing IT investments to improve the employee experience. How about that? They said, well, you know, you've already got some technology here. Why don't we do some customized training with the company's diverse employee base to help them use the existing technology and the new technology? And that training made a huge difference. They worked with a state university to create new opportunities for students to connect with faculty online. WWT helped the university test and compare virtual collaboration solutions. That's what they uh, use the ATC for. For instance, and then train and engage faculty and students to ensure strong adoption. This is what worldwide technology is famous for, their personal approach. They can not only identify the technologies you need to safely reopen, they can architect and implement a variety of solutions, things like, you know, fever screening and occupancy monitoring and contact-free conference rooms. See how WWT and Cisco can help bring clarity to your reopening plans and implement solutions that enable flexible working go to wwt.com/twit to get started and gain access to all their valuable resources wwt.com/twit worldwide technology make a new world happen we thank them so much for their support of uh, this week in tech uh, so i'm going to give you a chance china think of all the things china has been able to do they they've they've been able to shut down uh, and and curtail this, you know, the ultra growth in some of their more consumer focused technologies. They get kids to only video game three hours a week through Monday, on Saturday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday and holidays. Now they have said all cryptocurrency related activities are illegal. Gee, wouldn't it be nice if if we had a totalitarian government and we could just just come on in and say, Facebook, this is going to be fixed. It would
3: stop the Winklevoss twins. I'll
4: tell
0: you that. <laughs> <laughs> we we actually we talk about. And obviously, I'm a little bit tongue in cheek, so uh, you don't you don't have to uh, you don't have to come down too hard on it. But it is interesting that they're doing a lot of the things that people say here in the United States. You, we should well, will exactly.
4: Beware. We we can see where it goes. It goes toward China. I've been screaming that for years. Uh, and some, so you're right. Some would like that level of authoritarianism. Uh, but that ain't my country. Yeah, you're.
0: Uh, I think. I think, Jen. You you probably follow this fairly uh, closely, um, given your interest in Asia. The question uh, that I've heard a lot of people say is: Is this because the Chinese have decided the Chinese the CCP has decided uh, to focus more on uh, infrastructure technology and infrastructure, and less on consumer technology?
2: I I don't know. I. I think there's a case that a couple of things are going on, including the uh, the regime's incredible zeal to be a dictatorship and to clamp down and, and control everything.
0: A, a free, um, that's, uh, a free and, uh, vi- and, and vibrant uh, hmm. consumer techn- technology I'm, sector is not a, not helpful to yeah,
3: that. Yeah, what, what's, what's been amazing to see. I'm oh, sorry, did it down? Did I step on you? And finish up. Well, there was just
2: one other thing. On the clampdown on uh, cryptocurrencies, I'm not sure that there's – let me reverse. I think there's probably uh, another motive there in addition to just general control freakery uh, and related to that because the uh, economy and in particular real estate – is grossly overheated in China and mm-hmm. they're in a major bubble on property values and uh, have uh, totally overbuilt and, and have h- had companies that are wildly over leveraged owing you know hundreds of billions and it may be that on in banning cryptocurrencies they're trying to control, uh, or at least slow down the flight of capital that ah. tends to happen from countries that are perhaps uh, heading toward economic, uh, really serious trouble. And of course, the whole world would be caught in that if it does happen. But that seemed pretty plausible uh, to me. And I read—I don't remember where I read that, but it, uh, that struck a chord as maybe that is part of the motivation to just prevent too much uh money from fleeing the country
4: but isn't it more cultural than that too isn't it isn't it uh, you know a matter of control and uh if if the, if the regime could stay popular by everybody getting more money and and and, and growing and having bigger homes and buying more stuff fine for as long that lasted but then when trouble comes um they have to put the hammer down and and we're almost headed to a an economic cultural revolution. Is that going overboard?
2: No, that makes sense. And it, I think it's, these are intertwined. The, the
4: mm-hmm.
2: uh, it just, if we're looking for some specific thing, because I thought this cryptocurrency ban was very sudden. Um, and I had not, uh, there were, there were some things that happened that were perhaps in retrospect, leading up to it. But, this is a this is a surprise to me and and you know when we look in our own country and other countries about uh, cryptocurrencies, man I think people who are speculating in those areas who are not the insiders who are already profited and will stand to profit even more uh, be careful
3: yeah I, I think there's a, a couple things going on there you know these are great points about. You know, this these real estate companies, the people say this could be another subprime that affects the rest of the world. But in the last year, I've been really surprised to see how hard China is coming down against the entrepreneurs like Jack Ma, who were once Celebrated as you know uh, successes of the whole Chinese system, so it 's almost reminiscent of what Putin did to slam down the oligarchs in in russia um, and <clears throat> so maybe that 's not the greatest way to build a global internet business to you know take your most gloried entrepreneurs and founders and charge them with crimes or, you know, r- remove them. Um, I think certainly it, it shows that the control in China shows it, it just can't be trusted as a global brand. And you see, um, obviously, we don't trust Huawei. Um, and TikTok is, you know, was sort of teetering in the in the, 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 the Trump era. But now uh, still it's still the most popular uh, download among social network apps. Uh, More in, engagement in than
0: YouTube. Longer, longer yeah. viewing times, yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, it, but I I would say the, that stands as a non, an anomaly before the curtains come down on big private internet in
4: China. Well, they were the only company, to, I mean, all these companies that are so popular and so universal and necessary in China that didn't break the border I mean, isn't TikTok the only company that really did? Yeah, yeah. And it only did so by by acquisition.
3: Well, no. Some some people said that was going to be the dawn of this new era. But then you see what happened with Alibaba. And Diddy now is under, you know great pressure and China's clamped down on them. You know, the the huge success, the company that beat Uber, right. Um, And, and it's not just in China, but um, they're uh, the main presence and ride sharing in some other countries. So it's really interesting to see how, what looked like China's participation in a a global internet by nurturing these companies has done a a 180.
0: China, uh, was even cracking down on wechat you were talking about these uh chinese only companies that are completely dominant in china um i last i don't know what the status is today but last july wechat had stopped signing people up
2: yeah yeah there's and there's another aspect to the clampdown uh on the social media type companies is that the uh the china regime is basically saying you know uh companies corporations you may not uh spy on everybody we will
0: that's our job the
2: government it's our job (laughs) right and (laughs) you'll help us you'll help us but but when it comes to who really is in control it's
3: us and don't forget that
0: I wonder if that's I do, I, a subtext of the American government
4: crackdown. Yep, yep, I think so.
0: Yeah.
3: I do have one thing to say about this rule that the kids can only play video games for like three hours a week. If these kids have not managed to figure out the to hack their way past that, then
0: China really is dead. Maybe yeah. they're Maybe they're trying to create a hacker class. That's probably one good way to do it. Um, teach kids how to get around the government uh, crackdown. That's got to be. That's got to hurt. Three hours a week. Wow. Uh, here's an interesting story from uh, our federal government protecting us once again. Turns out the uh, Reval ransomware, remember Caseya, uh, the company that the, was an IT support company that ended up uh, hacking or being the pathway to hacking many of its customers for the revil, um ransomware gang. It turns out the FBI had the key that could unlock these computers for three weeks, but told no one that they had it. According to the uh, this story that uh, came out this week from the Washington Post, the key was obtained through access to the servers of the gang, and the FBI held it close to their vest because they were hoping with the agreement of other agencies, to carry out an operation to disrupt Revel. The the Bureau didn't want them to know that they had the key, so they couldn't tell these companies, oh, don't pay the ransomware, we can help you decrypt the data. They said a government assessment found the harm was not as severe as initially feared. The the planned takedown never occurred because REvil shut down before the feds could shut them down, and the hackers disappeared I have to feel like if you were one of the companies that had been ransomed uh, and you knew the FBI had the keys but didn't tell you, you might feel a little reasonably miffed. a little bit miffed at this point.
4: And what if you were in the hospital that couldn't treat you or had problems treating mm. you because they couldn't get on their system? When I flew back from from Tampa, uh, uh, was it yesterday? Uh, I went by and the pizza place and the Chick-fil-A. The Chick-fil-A was completely shut down. I thought, Oh, they they must have burned out their fryers or something. No, the system's down. So we uh, can't cook anything. Wow. Right. I mean, you know, so what's the what's the add-on effect of that in all the victims? What else couldn't happen? Who else was victimized? Yeah, you
3: not know, don't, don't you watch any movies? Don't you know that the FBI <laughs> will always let like you know the criminal gangs like murder other people because their informants get away with this kind of stuff? They'll never yeah, you know, this is just you know
0: mapping out you know FBI behavior to to ransomware. Sure, right? It's like uh the British government not letting not using the Enigma uh, uh crypto because uh, if they did, the Germans would know that they had cracked it. Uh, the FBI I mean, finally did give uh, Kaseya the key nineteen days after it was hit. Kaseya created a decryption tool and released it the following day but it was too late for uh, some victims
2: it, it, and it, but it 's a legitimate question and it 's not uh, it 's not obviously wrong for law enforcement to hold on to something if it really thinks and persuasively that uh it could shut down something much bigger i'm not saying you know i i I have great sympathy for the victims that were not told but uh i i think there's a this is a trade-off that's not completely clear-cut and it may turn out this was really a bad idea but it it might not always be a bad idea
0: well yeah if they had been able to arrest him and bring him to justice uh, as they had planned, you know, maybe everybody would have said, yeah, you did the right thing. Unfortunately, <laughs> somehow Revel got uh by the way, they're back. They left, but they're back. They're uh, they're at it again. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> uh you know, maybe they'll get another another chance. Uh yeah, there's a long I guess there's a long-standing uh history of of knowing this information but not being mm. able to use it because it would Give up your informants or that kind of thing. Uh, I'm not going to bring up the new. There's a new iPhone. Actually, it's it's an interesting story. And Stevie you, Stephen, you wrote a great book on the uh, the iPod, I think, right? The 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 new new next new. Yeah, you yeah. did a book on
3: the Macintosh and then the iPod, yeah. the uh, iPod. Yeah.
0: Apple seems to... now. I, I I'll I'll quote Brian X Chen. I, I it's my opinion as well, but Brian X Chen's review of the iPhone 13 was pretty scathing in the New York Times. Um, let me see if I can get the, uh, the exact, the most incremental upgrade ever. He said, <laughs> the new iPhone is 10% faster than the last one. And the photos are slightly better in a word. Huh? Uh, I will, I'll agree with him. My, my wife insisted on getting it. And I said, I'm not going to buy it. I'm happy with an iPhone 12. And I took it out and I said, this is, this is, there's no, there is very little improvement in this except that I can't use the old case because they moved the camera over about a millimeter. <laughs> um, maybe the pictures are a little bit better. Apple's kind of got a problem, which is the iPhone is pretty close to the peak. They're not; It isn't the next new thing by any means. It's the old thing.
3: Well, I don't think that Apple expects everyone with an iPhone 12 to go to an iPhone 13. If you have an iPhone 6 and, you know, we're wondering... Gee, you know, um, should I upgrade? You know, you might figure, well, this is as good a time as any because there's a big leap between an iPhone six and an iPhone thirteen, particularly in battery life. The battery life is actually better than ten percent. Uh, yeah, no, it's
0: huge. Least. Yes, that's right. Yeah, you know,
3: and you know, uh, and a lot of the phone companies, you know, the the, the uh, Verizon, AT and T, um, you know, they are offering deals, and a lot of people have deals where the upgrades come automatically that people just like, like to have new ones. Like some people just wanted to drive a new car every year. Um, so uh, Apple will sell a lot of these, you know, they seem to have the chip supplies, which no one else has, but, uh, uh, and, uh, but it's true that it's not an earth shattering thing. And uh, maybe we've reached, you know, the point where incremental upgrades are, All you can do with that and the next giant thing at Apple is not going to be, you know, like a phone which
0: shatters our expectations of what a phone is, but something else. It's not just Apple. Microsoft has announced Windows 11, which is only a little bit better than Windows 10. Mostly it's cosmetically different. It's the biggest difference. And it seems to be the reason Microsoft's shipping Windows 11 is so so that PC makers will have something new to sell in the fall, so it's very similar, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I I once asked Bill Gates, you know, years ago, I think when he was releasing Vista, I said, "Do you really think there's going to be a Windows 10?" And he looked at me. Well, well, of course, you know, uh, now we're up to Windows 11. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a. I mean, that's really the point is you don't release a new iPhone every year necessarily because everybody's going to upgrade every year, but you always have to have a new model, just as there's always a. New model of uh, you know, F one fifty truck. Not maybe a big difference, but
4: but this goes back to it becomes boring, yeah. and then and then we figure out what, what you know what else we can do with it. TikTok, that's why TikTok matters to me. TikTok said yeah. we're going to use these tools to collaborate in ways we couldn't have ever done before, and it wasn't really about the iPhone or the or Android either. It was just the 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 the, the tool existed to do stuff with it, or tensor <laughs> being in the in, 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 in the Android phones enabling um, immediate. Um, translation, Uh, things we can't anticipate yet that that, that may be done with these tools rather than the tools themselves being interesting.
2: The dumbest reviews of the new iPhones, uh, which are sort of an annual uh, (laughs) dumb reviews brigade, is best new, best iPhone yet. (laughs) Yes.
0: Well, it damn well better be. (laughs) If it were worse, you'd have to wonder what Apple's been doing all year.
2: I, I will yeah, say exactly.
0: Google,
2: yeah, the the Pixel went downhill for a year. It did um, after after the three A, which was until last week something I had happily been using.
4: Yeah. which was the best until I last had. week. Uh, what's the I, new I lead here? The, what are you using? I now? bought
2: the five. I bought the five A.
4: You didn't wait for the six.
2: No, I'm not going to spend. <laughs> I, I partly one reason I bought it was so that I wouldn't I love be too to dismissal. tempted. Too tempted to buy the six, which uh, would be oh, so this
4: anyway. way, this way, it was, it was, it was like taking the drug before you get the disease. I got it.
2: No, I'm uh, well, right. This is my uh, a ivermectin. A I was going to say, uh, is the, <laughs> is,
4: the, is, the Pixel, is the Pixel 5A the
0: ivermectin of uh, smartphones? I think it might might that might be going it, a little too far. But
2: it's it's a wonderful phone, and it, it is it a great. Improved, phone. It, it's yeah. the best Pixel yet. So oh fine, I'm, you know, I'll have I'll month, have this man, one for, the for next a month. Time. <laughs> No, I'm. I this is, uh, it, it's a. I like incremental. I like the fact that when you finally do decide to get something better, uh, and w- one place where Apple is way better than Android is the longevity of its updates, especially security updates. Um,
0: they actually uh, still offer iOS fifteen for as old a phone as the 6s. Yeah. That's pretty it, amazing and that is something to be said for that.
3: That makes a huge difference, yeah. you know, to the ecosystem um, when everyone's on the same page there. And that that's always been to me the big flaw of Android is that you know people don't upgrade. That the system isn't such that you know uh, the upgrades come routinely. You're, you know, you go to sleep and you're up to the new things. They still name them after candies.
0: Um, but, yes, uh, desserts, yes. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, um, they stopped. No, no, it's still a dessert. They don't make a big deal about it, but it's still a dessert. They don't make a little statue? They don't make a statue anymore.
3: No. No. Yeah, but the... Um, <laughs> They're no fun anymore, Google. <laughs> yeah, but that, but that, that, that really slows down the value of the Android system because, you know, developers, uh, you know aren't incentivized to come up with something to take advantage of the new system right away. And, you know, the whole
0: ecosystem suffers. I decided to and, and uh, forego anybody. the Pixel 5 because it was so close to the Pixel 4. Uh, I have foregoing the iPhone 13. Go ahead, Dan. You were saying oh, yeah. I'm not going to buy it. I, I, Lisa's got it. Whoa, I looked at it for five minutes. Good. Well, you know what I'm going to get instead, which I think is kind Uh-oh. of interesting. Oh. Microsoft announced the Duo 2 this week as well. Which is their Android device with two screens, and I think is kind of interesting. I bought the uh, Duo last year, returned it after a couple of weeks because the software didn't live up to the potential of the hardware. But and it may happen again this week. But I love the idea not of a folding phone. Let me turn off the music so we don't get taken down. But of a phone with a hinge, two screens and a hinge, uh, just because the because of the real estate, a revolutionary hinge. How about that?
4: It's pretty, anyway. Microsoft invented the door.
2: <laughs> looks, like, looks like something from Terminator. Just...
0: Uh, yeah, it, this is actually a real problem in the Android uh, world. And Google, I don't blame Google. I think the problem really uh, with updates is that there are a lot of old Android phones. Because it is, it was for a long time. The It still is, I guess, the cheapest uh, operating system you could put on a phone. And... Uh, well,
2: and- and Google's sort of stuck with manufacturers that uh, hold back the updates that it provides. That's right. That's so, right. That's right. Uh, and one reason Google keeps pulling more of the important functionality back into the central operating systems that, and and making more and more requirements on the manufacturers to do it Google's way or not at all um, is because they realized they had to get a handle on this uh, incredibly Bad system.
0: So I want to I want to go back to your book, The Perfect Thing, uh, Stephen, because this was in an era uh, when Apple was totally dominant. That the iPod kind of took over the marketplace. Apple followed that with the iPhone, had the same kind of exact uh, transition. What is where does Apple go next? What is is there is there a, the next perfect thing for Apple? That's a great question. People ask that
3: about Tim Cook. I mentioned earlier about the Apple Silicon. And I think that really is, you know, the advance, the advantage that Apple has now in developing its products. Um, But we're all still waiting. You know, the watch turned out to be more successful than a lot of people thought. It was stumbled out of the gate because uh, Apple tried to push it as a fashion item. um, And that was hard to do to charge, uh, you know, these deluxe versions with, you know, silver, gold for thousands of dollars when the thing got be replaced in a year. Um, um, but I think that people are waiting for the augmented reality glasses. And, you know, Apple supposedly is working on a car. Um, we don't know whether it's going to do the whole thing or do a system for the car, but um, we're holding our breaths to see whether there will be that new device that we didn't know we absolutely had to have, but now we do. And In, in both those markets, um, there's existing competition to make the, the new, new thing in those realms. Um, Facebook, as you know, just came out with a pair of glasses, which don't really have augmented reality in them, but they take pictures. Um, and uh, other other places are working on the glasses that really take the screen and put it, like, right in front of your
0: eyes. Aren't those Facebook glasses terrifying? I don't... I think that's
4: oh.
0: a... People are... You can barely tell there's a camera. They look like rape What happens when Robert
4: Scoble uses them? Yeah. yeah. I'm, I, just, I don't but like the a, idea of a camera there's cameras, that's... Hidden. There's
3: cameras everywhere. Where do you
0: go? Uh, I with guess you're like, right. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Just put some... I,
2: I can go to... I can get a camera that replaces this sure. button and you... Sure. You know, I mean, that. I, th- I think we've... Uh, we passed the point of no return, which yeah. is bad, and we need to have some laws that say you can't do that. But uh, in in the absence of that, we need countermeasures, and I'm not sure what those are going to be.
4: Yeah. We, have, we have norms, too. We have norms that say uh, – I mean, that was – I remember having a conversation with uh, a um, New York Times columnist – I'll leave unnamed for the moment – uh, worried about Scoble with Google Glass. Oh my God! They're going to go in the men's room. And I said, nobody wants a picture of your junk. <laughs> hmm. Norm, Norm does. <laughs> yeah, but norm, norms
2: are are easier to uh, enforce. Put that in quotes. If if violating them, uh, it makes you known as someone who violated them. It. When it becomes mm. invisible and the, the the violation of the norm becomes kind of default, that that's worrisome.
0: We're gonna take a little break when we come back. Peter Thiel, the topic, great panel. Uh, I feel like we should talk about the future of journalism. I don't know. Is that my? Would that be a mistake at this point, Jeff? We can
4: talk about the death of magazines. All right, we'll the, get to that.
0: The death, the, <laughs> the death of magazines.
4: As the
3: person who works for a magazine, uh,
0: <laughs> I do that. I knew that to get a rise. I, I just ended up paying yeah. another five bucks to subscribe to your newsletter just so I could read your yeah. articles.
2: It's worth as it. a subscriber to Wired. Um,
0: <laughs> I'm but, old fashioned. But notice, I did not pay for the delivered wired in my uh, mailbox version. I just want the digital uh, version. I still get magazines. But they're mostly a pain in the ass. They're mostly like, oh, now I have to do something with this. Like read it? That would be terrible. I read it online. I get the New Yorker, but I also read it online. I get the Atlantic, but I read it online. I don't need the paper version.
4: Oh, I, I used to t- buy them by the pound. Double bag. <laughs> I haven't bought a magazine. Oh, yeah. Wasn't that, that fun? Magazine magazine
0: going to the newsstand. Buying all yeah, sorts yeah. of weird arcane magazines. I w- you I- go on a flight, you have a, you buy three magazines, yeah. Magazines,
3: and everyone in the, the plane they'd be thumbing through it. Yeah.
0: There's a Vanity Fair sitting on day. my bedside table. It's been there for about two weeks, <laughs> just folded <laughs> up into the article I was gonna read. Uh, just sitting there, kind of sad, lost, and you, just, you get to buy guilt. It <laughs> yeah, that's all it is. and and, and wired we don't call ourselves wired magazine we're wired you're wired Uh, yeah Yeah. it's just wired yeah i buy my guilt by the pound our show today brought to you by podium talking about changing times these days if you're a business remember in the you know i don't know 20 years ago if you didn't have an answering machine right you what kind of business doesn't have an answering machine then you had to have an email then you had to have a website okay you want to know what you need today you need text messaging Text messaging is the key these days to staying in touch with your clients, your customers. Why? Because after a year in pandemic, we've kind of just gotten used to the new way of doing things. Uh, You know, curbside pickup from your favorite restaurant. I did a Zoom call with my doctor last week. Uh, Customers have grown to expect simpler ways of doing business. And no matter what your product, no matter what your business, I want you to know about Podium. More than 90,000 local businesses of all sizes have turned to Podium. With one location or 1,000, it doesn't matter. Podium can help you stay ahead because the open rate for text messages is through the roof compared to any other thing. And I can tell you as a customer, I far prefer getting a coupon via text message, getting a suggestion for a review via text message. Podium makes doing business as easy as sending a text. And when texts get open, business gets done. You know who else likes Podium? Your employees, because they can handle all of the communications with your customers in a single text inbox Offering a smoother experience for your customers. If you want to answer questions, send a text. If you want to collect reviews. Uh, the other day, I left uh, a place and um, I got a little text pop-up. said, how'd you like the food? Leave a review for us on Yelp. And I did because it was easy. I was there. was on the phone. Uh, that's what Podium can do. If you want to schedule an appointment or schedule a delivery, send a text. You can even collect payments with Podium via text. You know, if you uh a, a, a contractor... A home service provider. You need Podium because, and I, this happened to me the other day. A window—we broke a window. So what did I do? I texted a bunch of different glaziers, people who fixed the window. The person who's first to reply is way more likely to get the job. If you're on the ball, you got Podium. It's easy. You can sell a car dealership sold a fifty thousand dollar truck in four text messages. Podium customer. Lots of dealerships running profitable service centers. Up, I, I now schedule my appointments in text messages to get my car serviced. Retailers are increasing revenue by allowing customers to shop via text message. And there's a dentist in New York City who got behind in his collections, had a million dollars in overdue collections. He sent everyone a text, a payment request, collected $700,000 in two weeks, 70%. Because it's just easier for people. It's it's not that they're trying to skip out. It's just easier for people. Today's customers expect on-demand everything, even from local businesses. Stay ahead of the competition. Look, you got to check out the website. Free plans for growing businesses, plus all the power a growing business needs to scale as you get big, and you will get started free today. Podium p o d i u m dot com slash twit. This is this is the future. Try a demo. See why Podium is trusted by thousands of businesses all over the country. P-O-D-I-U-M dot com slash twit. We had a big week this week on uh, the shows, including the Surface event, the Apple event. Why don't we, sh- why don't we roll that uh, tape? You got a little, we got a little video to show you.
4: Today. Amazon announced in limited edition $229.99 <gasps> Echo Studio featuring Billie Eilish's cover art for Happier Than Ever. Oh, God, who cares?
0: Like, ah. <laughs> This is Stacey's pick of the week. It is my Henri the Chihuahua Amazon Echo. Wow. <laughs> How about that? Previously on Twit, Twit News. So this right. is this is the pro version of the Surface Laptop. This Line is
4: by. a portable workstation.
0: Oh look at that. No Surface Pro oh, 8 is Oh, I'm liking that. This is a pull forward display tech news weekly we've got a lot of fun stuff to
2: talk about this week including tiny flying microchips and the team behind them
4: so there are principles in aerodynamics that scale nicely down as you reduce dimensions Uh, but at some point if you make these structures too small uh, then that flight dynamics kind of uh, disappears and everything behaves like a like a sphere essentially hands-on tech
0: Is it possible to make a do-it-yourself, repairable laptop that you would actually want to buy? It is. Next, the framework on Hands on Tech. Windows Weekly. I really
4: like the Duo 2. I can't even believe I'm saying that. Me too. I went in there so skeptical and I went up to the table and he goes, What do you want out of Duo Two? I said, I want it to be good. I just pre ordered for that. Did you? I, did. I hit the button. Yes, I did. <laughs> TWIT. I know. For help with the technology addiction problem, call one 800 twit I
0: wish I wish there were such a number. <laughs> well, we learned a lot this week why bumblebees can't fly, because they're just big spheres and uh, the, the the framework laptop you wanted to talk about that dan right do you have did you get one of those
2: yeah it's uh it's amazing i agree blows me away it it first of all it puts total lie to this notion that making something thin and relatively light means that you have to solder everything to everything else and make it un uh, upgradable and unrepairable this thing is uh upgradable and repairable and I think they're early on to something. I hope this is going to be the start of a trend uh because uh one thing I've I should say I've been buying for a long time, um after I left the Mac behind, I've been buying ThinkPads and putting Linux on them uh and uh very happy and one thing that lenovo does that almost no other company can match is that i have a plan where if something breaks wherever i am in the world they'll send somebody to where i am and fix it that's uh that's just unbeatable but i don't travel that much anymore and this thing is just a breakthrough yeah in Modularity and upgradability. I, I uh, Corey Doctor wrote a wonderful piece on Medium about this. Uh, I recommend everyone look at it.
0: Yeah, that's because, Corey who was the one who told me to get ThinkPads and put Linux on them, and and buy uh, the uh, uh, the on site repair. And I yeah, did that it, for years too. I agree. It was it, yeah, it's been great. I,
2: I'm not sure I'm going to stop. And and I I differ with Corey on a couple of points he made in his piece. In fact, I'm going to write something up about it. But this is uh, this is the cutting edge of something that I think we should encourage like crazy, which is the notion of making hardware less uh, of a thing that you have to throw away or give away, um, that we don't have to use as much materials as we used to. Just Drop in a new processor, and you know, at some point, even a new motherboard, if that's what it takes. But everything is modular in this thing. I just, I'm blown away.
0: And it runs Linux beautifully. That's yeah, the first thing I did. Even yeah, the fingerprint reader works with the Manjaro Linux, which is great.
2: Yeah, it's uh, the 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 further. I, I don't know which Linux you're using. I use Ubuntu just because it's become So does so Corey? And, I think yeah. And. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm one of the people, Corey, talked into doing all this for a long time. But the uh, the, the one thing I don't like about this computer is that I love the ThinkPad keyboard. And uh, I if someone creates a keyboard or they add, create one themselves that has manual uh, mechanical mouse buttons, uh, then everything will be basically perfect but. The,
0: the keyboard is replaceable that's really going to be the test of all of this is will people make com- compatible modules or will frameworks stick around and make more modules right um, because right. the keyboard the screen everything it's held together with magnets practically and it's very yeah. easy to take apart and uh, you know i don't know about you i got the diy version so i had to install sure. the hard drive the ram the Wi-Fi radio, easy peasy. Yeah. It was great.
2: Yeah, it comes with one little screwdriver. Yeah, that's 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 the tools <laughs> that you need to open it and add stuff and, and repair stuff. It's a it it's it's a remarkable piece of engineering. I'm uh, so impressed with it. In but theory,
0: the old, even the CPU is upgradable and replaceable because the motherboard yeah. can be removed. And again, that's going to I think depend on framework. Or somebody else, I don't know if Framework's published the schematics. That would be the way to do it, um, Make to make something that would fit and be compatible. But I, that's exciting. I don't know that yeah. answer to that. 10 out of 10, uh, I fix it on repairability. So um, no glue. <laughs> Even the battery can be pulled out. without. Un- I, I replaced the battery on my Pixel 5, and there's all this glue you have to peel, <laughs> peel out and so forth. Yeah, I would like to see Framework do a phone. That would be interesting. Uh, a repairable phone. What a thought! You already had to replace the battery on your Pixel Five. Yeah, it's well, it swolled up. It got all swolled up, and uh, started to, the back started to come off. Eee. And I, I, was talking about it. And People said, "Stop using it. <laughs> Stop charging it. You could <laughs> blow up." So um, I boarded for my fix. It. They sent. They send a replacement battery, and they sent a kit. And there's a video. And they show you how to do it. And I thought, well, I should do this. If I'm going to stand up for the right to repair, uh, then I should uh, do it. I and I did. And it was easy. And it was fine. And it didn't blow up anymore. Uh, yeah, I didn't realize Corey had written an article and his has switched to framework. That's awesome. That's really great. Uh, he and I got ours at about the same time, I think. Uh, Peter Thiel, The Art of the Teal, best headline <laughs> this week. Thank you very much, uh, Stephen Levy. Uh, you're reviewing a new book by Max Chafkin, Chafkin, uh, The Contrarian. Um, What do you think?
3: Well, I
0: think, well, Max, he oversells it a little,
3: you know, by trying to play up uh, Teal's influence on Silicon Valley, make it bigger what it is. But, by and large, it's a fascinating biography of of a guy who is important. Uh, And uh, a little terrifying in, in, in some areas, but in other areas, it really is revealing about that strain of Silicon Valley, the ultra libertarian, um, whose real allegiance is towards just the you know monopolies and accumulation of money. Really, um, you know, Teal. It's interesting. He's he's been very very active of late in defense technology, the places he funds. And, you know, I don't know, know do we need to go
0: backwards and actually say who he is to begin with? Uh, We Um, could say early investor. If you watched the Social Network movie, you know, he was the early early investor who gave the seed money to Mark Zuckerberg so that Facebook could start. But he also founded Palantir, which is kind of a notorious uh, semi-evil spy company, basically, right?
3: Yeah, and he so he, he actually <laughs> co-founded PayPal. He
0: was involved oh, in one PayPal. Of the PayPal Mafia too. Yeah,
3: yeah, right. yeah, yeah. He actually helped fire uh, Elon Musk from PayPal, which is something <laughs> not many people can say. Right?
0: <laughs> that's a claim to fame. I, yeah, you know, yeah. the thing I think is most interesting is that Teal is basically unapologetic about saying, "Look, my philosophy is uh, companies should become monopolies uh, because then you don't have to worry about competition. Make as much money as you can." And uh, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and support. He, he was a big supporter of Donald Trump early in the campaign in 2016 um, because I gather he felt like this guy would be friendly to monopolies.
3: And and also, well, you know, the Founders Fund, which is, you know, Teal's VC firm and, you know, and uh, it's where Palantir came from. And obviously Teal was very involved in. Palantir. Uh, and they have another, uh, other defense companies. One of them I wrote about for Wired uh, with Palmer Lucky, the uh, virtual reality guy. Who's who very similar in
0: his philosophy, right?
3: Yeah. Well, different. I, I, I think Palmer, you know, I don't, he's not a Bond villain kind of guy. He's a fun lover. Um, I actually, <laughs> he has a whole room dedicated to candy. I know that. Yeah, I, I once went on a road trip to him to the Texas border to look at one of his installations of his technology. And the first thing we did, we got out of the plane in El Paso, was went to a Whataburger, right? He's a real connoisseur of fast food. (laughs) And, uh, but, but it's interesting, you know, not just Teal, but these other people who say that they're, like super patriotic. These other people in the Trump sphere and in Teal's thing, he, he really is disdainful of the people at Google for bouncing, you know, a contract, the government um, uh, on, on AI. Um, but it seems to me if these people are so patriotic, why don't they pay their taxes? Why do they keep thinking of imaginative ways to avoid paying the taxes that would help, the United States defend itself and pay for this technology they're selling to the United States. Teal is famous, and the book gets into this for having this multi billion dollar Roth IRA, right? And this is something that was like done to help people, you know, of modest means do his little retirement accounts for their own use. And he figured out a way to twist it legally, I guess, um, but to make it worth billions and billions of dollars, and which that law was not is being changed
4: interest- right now. Right now, to, to untaxable. To, to, to
0: untaxable. Uh, I,
3: you know what? No, no, the actually, keyword is
2: un,
0: the keyword is un, the untaxable. I actually told my daughter to immediately open a Roth IRA because <laughs> she doesn't make enough money to be, you yeah. know, you, if you, I think if you have to be make under 144000 but you could put money well, in there after tax money in there, and any appreciation can be withdrawn at retirement uh, without tax. That's the whole point of a Roth I, yeah, IRA.
3: The interesting thing he did was. It, you know, the reason why he put his PayPal
0: stock in there, yeah, yeah, seventeen hundred dollars worth of PayPal stock that is now worth more than seventeen billion, I think. Yeah, yeah. but anyway, it, it was you know. I, I, but that it, was completely legal. Reading. I feel like, uh, do you think he's evil? I mean, like, does he think he's like a Bond villain? He's saying, "Oh, I'm just going to I'm going to go on the dark side," well, or he has a philosophical because, basis that he, says. You know, this makes sense. Why shouldn't people try to get as rich as they can? Well, I
3: think he's most evil when uh, he secretly funded the Gawker lawsuit uh, for revenge right. for writing about his, you know, static, you know, that he was he's was a gay person for outing he didn't him. Really, yeah. you we know, didn't wasn't really in a closet. You know, it was one of those things that people around him knew about it. Um, anyone could find out about it, but they publicized it and kind of made fun of it. Um, and he never forgot that, and he couldn't sue them for what they wrote about him, but he saw the Hulk Hogan suit as a means to do it, and he funded some other people, and he did that secretly, and a lot of people feel, feel that uh, if that jury had known that some secretive billionaire was funding the suit to close down the publication, uh, things might
4: have gone the other way in that, in that lawsuit. Virginia Heffernan's review has this great quote from the book uh, about, about him and, uh, and Musk. Peter thinks Musk is a fraud and a braggart. Musk thinks Peter is a sociopath. <laughs> okay, not a lot of love lost. <laughs> no. uh,
0: not, we really, should point out nothing Peter Thiel has done is illegal, including the Roth IRA. That's a good IRA. summary,
2: though. But th- that's a really good summary of those guys. I like that.
0: <laughs> Isn't it? <that? Isn't> <laughs> um I don't. I. It's hard. It's hard to say. I'm the kind of person. that I don't want to say he's an evil person. Nobody. Everybody in their own mind thinks they're justified in their beliefs. Right? Nobody says I'm going to do the bad thing, the wrong thing.
4: Does this? Does the minority leader of the Senate think that? Yes. Really?
0: Absolutely. He believes he's doing the right thing for the country. Of course he does. And I think.
3: Yeah, after he closed on Gawker, he said, "This is the greatest public service I've ever
0: done." Yeah. No, it, no one's a villain in their own story. So, I'm just and it's not like he's committed any crime. You know, we might say he's well, reprehensible, no. but he's at, not criminal.
2: At, well, that, as as that's, as Michael Chang said, famously <laughs> a long time ago, uh, what the the scandal's not what's illegal, the scandal's what's legal.
0: So That's a very good point. And uh, if that Roth IRA loophole exists, I mean, to let's be fair, Teal put a valueless asset in there because you can't put a super valuable asset in it. He must have thought, well, this is going to appreciate. This would be a good place to stick it in case it does so I can get the money out without tax. But it was a completely legal. Somehow he was under the income cap. I guess he decided not to take any. That's been your standard throughout the
4: show today, uh, Leo, Is well, it's not illegal. (laughs) Well, but but I guess to to uh,
0: Dan's point about civics, if the real place to go, if if this stuff is to say, let's well, let's make it illegal. Then we shouldn't have tax laws that make up his
4: taxes. No, he's doing
0: what his point of view is. I'm going to do everything I can that's legal to maximize my profit. Yeah. And I, I think it's a,
3: it's a failure. Our failure in this country to get across in, in the, uh, behavior like that is not patriotic. It's antisocial. Well, you know, we had a president who basically bragged that he wasn't paying taxes while he complained and complained and complained. We weren't spending enough money on defense. I feel that people should be
4: shamed. If they go to great but, but, but Stephen, how do you ports. do that then? So, so, so <laughs> the, the, the shareholders of of Twitter say to Jack, um, um, "We're gonna, we're gonna. You have a fiduciary duty to us to maximize your profit. And if you don't, and you're not a public benefit corporation, and you just decide that you're going to pay more taxes because you want to, that doesn't wash in our current structure. Now, you want to change capitalism? Okay." But in the structure of where it exists, it is up to the I think Leo's point is right. Don't blame no. the company, blame the politicians. And when it comes to these international deals, the double t- Dutch sandwiches, mm-hmm. blame the diplomats. Blame No, the government no, you know, you know full, you, you know full well, Jeff,
3: that capitalism does not demand. The, you know, the the, the the leaders
4: of the company do anything possible. That's a theory that's gained traction. We all go the, to accountants and say, I don't want to pay more taxes than I have to. Everybody does that. Yeah, I we, do don't that.
3: Hire, we, don't, we don't hire lawyers to figure out ways where we could pay, pay nothing
0: for, for billions of dollars. Well, it's probably prudent also to point out that the reason those laws exist is because the same people – paid as much money as they could to Congress members exactly. to get yes. to get those laws in place. That's
4: where the, 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 the
0: maybe, start with, maybe start with campaign finance reform, maybe start with yes. taking yeah. the money out of politics, because those laws exist for that entirely for that reason. The double dutch yeah, I mean, sandwich doesn't exist. And there's nothing because somebody so, not says this will be good for the country. It exists because we're, yeah, we're, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, we're, we're not talking about. Yeah, we're we're
3: not talking about a company. We're talking about Peter Thiel and what he's done in, in the imaginative way he's done, you know, to avoid paying billions of dollars in taxes. At the same time, you know, he touts being a patriot um for building up our defense capabilities and uh, helping the government surveil people.
0: Palmer the thing that you visited that Palmer Lucky built was a surveillance system of the on the border, right? It was designed to support the wall.
3: Yeah, yeah, it was a smart wall yeah. so to speak and uh, um <laughs> I have to say it was a, I, I was that was an unbelievably fun trip.
0: <laughs> it was almost like Hunter yeah. S. Thompson goes to Texas, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We went there. We went there when this ranch it had this
3: amazing history where Texas Rangers had a kind of a border war, you know, um, like back around the turn of the century, um, and you know how you know the great characters, and we were way in the middle of nowhere. I mean, the, the closest. You know, thing to where we were, like maybe about 40 miles away, was this little Prada art installation from near Marfa. You know, uh, that we posted. And, and, uh, and
0: let's not forget a Whataburger. Uh, well, yeah. that
3: was on the way. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah.
0: yeah. Very important. And it, and
3: it, we stayed the night in, in a little place called Van Horn, Texas. And I wound up there a couple months later, watching a launch of Blue Origin. So I think I've probably been the only journalist uh, ever to go to Van Horn, Texas, twice in three months for two different stories. <laughs> somebody, somebody Did you
2: used see
4: the Bill word Shatter shame. There,
0: <laughs> go ahead, Dan.
2: Somebody used the word shame in this shame conversation. That was man. me. That was me. Yeah. Yeah I I was just thinking you, you can't really shame people who don't have any shame. Uh it's it's they're proud of the stuff that we think is shameful. They're actually they're thinking gotcha. That's 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 their response to the idea you can't
3: possibly Well shame if they if they if they're um not you know greeted or you know snubbed by uh the people around them you know uh that's different now the people who say gotcha are surrounded by other people like that i mean we have to change the mentality of it things can change yeah, that's, that's,
4: that's norm setting yes i mean it's the same I, I get people yelling at me when i say that it's time to shun and shame the anti-vaxxers and well no we're still going to convince them no we've given plenty of time to convince them and and all oh, people get mad at me and i don't care Uh, So that's that's how we set norms in society is by negotiating them. It is at some point by shunning and shaming people so that the price becomes too high. But there has to be for people like this some sort of nihilism
0: where they've decided everybody is pretending there's good and bad, but really Mm -hmm. everybody's out for themselves. And so I'm not doing anything everybody else is doing. There has to be some some sort of mental gymnastics that they're performing. So they have, I don't think they have shame. Uh, you know, I think it, it, Donald Trump's a good example. I think it hurt him deeply that the elites of New York never accepted him, but I don't think he was shamed by them. No. no. Uh, if he had been, uh, I didn't see any modification to the behavior. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he showed any shame. And I, I doubt Peter Thiel feels uh, ashamed of, of anything. Um,
3: well, and the, the biography kind of gets into the early days, and if you want to play a Cracker Barrel psychologist, um, you know, you could say that you know he was bullied as a kid because he was kind of like a weird kid, and just loved chess, um, and you know, um, probably the people around him picked up that. Um, he was gay, and he, you know, and were mean to him. They were, they bullied him, and so he and, he buried shame. He said, "I'm not going to be ashamed of myself." You know, and then and then he goes to Stanford, and and at Stanford. There's, you know, uh, at, the, at the time he went, there was a group of people, it wasn't the majority, but it was a, enough of a community of of right wingers and right wingers who really enjoyed making, you know, owning liberals, let's say, um, you know, and baiting them that where he was accepted within that world there. So, there yeah, you, his, go. you know, so those tendencies as, you know, very right wing libertarianists. Uh, Kind of tendencies got rewarded from the people uh, around him. And, you know, and and you want to say that helps explain it. I don't know. I mean, he's also an incredibly brilliant person. I mean, uh, I haven't had much conversation with him, um, but I've met him a few times and super, super smart guy. What can you
0: say? All I can say is I used to play a lot of chess, uh, tournament chess, in uh, at that age, and I was not shunned. <laughs> 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 so playing chess by itself is not necessarily uh, shunning, um, although I guess I gather he's pretty good. You you talk about him playing blindfold chess at a Founders Conference, um, which is not an easy. Yeah, playing
3: thing against either. the Collison, the yeah. the co-founder of Stripe, who was no slouch and uh, intelligence himself.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Take- I'll quote Heffernan again for one quick second. And some of your listeners may find this deeply offensive. <laughs> Young Teal had the usual dandruff club hobbies. He played Dungeons and Dragons, Red Tolkien, and aced the SATs. Story of my life. There
0: but you go. don't have to be a nihilist <laughs> just because of that. <laughs> I'm just saying. I, th- I think you can go in a variety of ways. I'm not gay. So maybe well, maybe that was, maybe that was mm-hmm. what put him over the top. I don't know. Maybe he was shunned. Where did he grow up? What was he, Did he grow up in Texas? Where did he grow up? No, it was um, New Jersey? Uh, California. Was California.
4: It? All right. What, why, what do, you, what do you, you got a problem with Jersey? Did <laughs> yeah. You presume the guy's from yeah. Jersey? Well, what is this? I'm just saying. <laughs> what is
0: this? You got a problem with us? A lot of people grew up in Jersey. You're a little worse. I'm just saying.
2: That explains everything. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Jeez. All right, let's take it. Well, off. it's <laughs> interesting. At,
3: at Facebook, there's this great contrast between Mark Zuckerberg. Who you know um, is you know uh, who, among his peers, you know he he, he could be uh, fairly popular. He wasn't like the outcast you see in the in the social network, but not like you know, kind an of overwhelmingly popular uh, guy who with charisma. And Chris Cox, who is one of the top executives of Facebook, who is a, a super smart guy, but with the, the life of the campus on Stanford, sort of like the anti-interest. Huh. you know and he 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 played in a reggae band and um <laughs> he, 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 he was athletic and, you know, and you know just like charmed everyone um so uh, he's like like the person some people told me that like mark would really like to be a chris Cox
0: oh that's interesting not anymore right didn't Cox well, go, Cox go apostate? no no he's back, back. he's back
2: oh oh yeah he's no. back
0: oh. okay they keep pulling me in. I think is the quote. Let's uh, take a little break. We got a great panel. I uh, I still I've got to find some way to get them to start talking though. They're so uh, reserved. <laughs> it's uh, Dan Gilmore from Arizona State uh, at the uh, Walter Cronkite School. Great to have you, Stephen Levy, legendary uh, slow journalist uh, at editor at large at Wired. And you're calling me slow? You said it. I remember at A food camp. <laughs> you said uh, I t- I do slow journalism. You're not that slow. You actually you, you, you're you're writing a lot more than you used to. Not not talking about intellect here. <laughs> <laughs> no, like slow food. I think it was like the idea was like yeah, yeah, slow yeah, yeah. food.
4: I I take my you're, time. You're, 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 you're like a good like a fine barbecue. Something. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. You, you, I okay, I've got, a, I've got well. a big
3: green egg out
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love my big green egg. We could, that's what we'll talk about in the next segment is barbecue. Sure. Jeff Jarvis is also here. Uh, you know Jeff from This Week in Google, com, and of course, the Craig Newmark Craig, Graduate Craig, School of Craig Journalism at the City University of New York. Our show today brought to you by another friend of the show, Kevin Rose. The Dark Tipper from Tech TV. And, of course, Kevin is a smart investor. He founded Dig, uh, invested early in Twitter and many other companies, worked at Google Ventures. He's now at True Ventures. This man knows finance. He also is a damn fine podcaster. You may remember Dig Nation, one of the most successful of all time, podcasts of all time. He's got a new one. It's called Modern Finance. The world of investments has changed. Bitcoin, NFTs, robo-investors at the tip of everyone's tongue. How do you know what's right for you? Modern finance helps to demystify crypto, decentralized finance, and more. Kevin uh, is a perfect guy to host this. Listed as a top 25 angel investor by Bloomberg, one of the top 25 most influential people on the web, according to Time Magazine. His job demystify crypto the world of nfts without dumbing it down he's so good at that in fact i didn't know anything about nfts until it was actually their debut episode which i I think started started at the beginning uh where they explain nfts there's two shows on the feed for modern finance the weekly consensus episodes that explore the weekly news distill it into digestible information and then the second uh, show is deeper interviews with crypto founders nft artists the top experts in this field entrepreneurs it's a great way to learn about it uh even traditional finance hacks everything don't let your crypto guy friend be the life of the party but listening to modern finance you'll feel well equipped to discuss and understand the crypto and the nft landscape you'll feel informed about your investments don't miss out on the next big thing in crypto or in nfts join kevin rose on the modern finance podcast every week so you don't miss a beat The financial landscape's harder than ever to navigate. You don't have to do it alone. Download and subscribe to Modern Finance, wherever you listen to podcasts. Look at all these episodes. He's been just cranking them out. So much stuff. I'm a little behind. i got to catch up. Modern Finance. Go to modern.finance or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't be the last person on the next train out. Listen to Modern Finance and get ahead of the future of finance. Uh, Kevin's great. He's also very entertaining. Love him. Thank you, Kevin. Modern Finance. Everybody should listen to it, right? And we'll get Kevin back on Twitch soon. You were talking about uh, Peter Thiel being outed, and I forgot that we. Owen Thomas, the guy who was writing for Gawker when when uh, who outed Peter Thiel, has been on the show many times. He's a he's one of our contributors. Love him. A uh, great guy. Um, I don't I don't know if he's happy about the fall of Gawker. Although Gawker's back, isn't it? I don't yeah. know if, is it the yeah. same no, no, no
3: new, new owner new ownership
0: are they still yeah. uh kinda you know
3: not 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 as you know tough as the old guker
0: oh, that's too bad, <laughs> although I see they have a <laughs> a column called cannoli Ingus, so I don't know what the hell <laughs> they try not too hard they' trying a little too hard this thing's terrible. <laughs> Uh, oh, here's one. Mayhem Bialik is destroying Jeopardy. You could have written that one, Jeff. Mm. <laughs> uh,
4: are you over her? Or, uh, is she? Is he full-time host now? No, no. She's going to uh, uh, share the hosting for a while while they figure out what to do, which should be to fire all the Sony executives who screwed this up so Boy, far. Boy, did they like. screw it up.
0: Boy, did they screw it up. But, you know, I think it's a testament to how good Alex Trebek was. That's a, yes. there's something about that Possibly show. It's a replace. hard show to do. And he's very hard, very hard to replace. Somebody suggested, actually, this is from the Gawker story. And I agree. A, a comedian like Mark Maron would be perfect. Maron's just got that right attitude for the whole thing. I don't know.
4: Yeah. I, my problem with her is she's doing the brain supplement commercials. Yeah. And though she, she and her children did get, the vaccination for COVID. She's been uh, vax-skeptical otherwise, and so you have a show that is based on, supposedly, fact and knowledge, and this is... Who are you are going to have representing? This is going to give me in all kinds of trouble. You're going to get tons of emails out. You know, she's <laughs> well, she's bang. beloved because of the Big Bang Theory, right? She was, I liked her on the Big Bang Theory, but, yeah. but as a spokesman for truth, eh, not so much. Yeah.
0: You know, she, okay, she studied neuroscience, but she's an actor. Let's face it, yeah. That's that's her real job, not not neuroscience. Uh, you want to watch as a raven takes out a Google yeah, yeah, drone? Yeah, yeah. You want, I put this up there. You want to see this? I know yeah, this yeah. is this is Jeff's this is this Jeff's is uh, story. Yeah. So Google has been forced to ground its home delivery service due to bird attacks. Here's an Australian raven a drone, attacking a drone delivering coffee. This is. Uh, there's the drone. Somebody t- say, Oh, look, cool. There's a Google drone delivering coffee, and then wait for it. <laughs> Suddenly, out of the blue, ravens are
4: scary. Here it comes. What does the raven think it's he's you almost want the sound on too because I think the raven is battling with the rotor. <laughs> <laughs> why, why, raven? Oh, and there goes the coffee. <laughs>
0: Uh, according to abc news australia we've identified some birds in the area demonstrating territorial behaviors and swooping at moving objects so you know i always thought the whole idea of drone delivery was a little far-fetched i think i I think when jeff bezos opened that door and charlie rose said what i think he was being taken for a ride and by a drone apparently
4: uh, let's see. News consumption. Oh, just one little, one little update here. Just, I just found it. Just put up. Yes. I don't care. You may not care, but at the bottom of the rundown. So Facebook now is putting up, um, their answer to the wall street journal. I haven't a chance to go through this. Uh, Casey yeah, is, I was, is arguing they're tweeting it, right? Yeah. You should I, put I, up was, I was looking, I was looking at ourselves.
3: this. Yeah. They, they did a, a, a post on it. Um, it looks like that they've done their own cherry picking of the research yes. <laughs> to, you know, come out against the uh, Wall Street Journal's cherry picking. And most of the replies to their, you know, uh, the tweet announcing it were saying, well, why don't you just release all of it so we can we judge
4: can for ourselves? Exactly down the down moral the of the story. Yeah. Exactly. So that I just wanted to just add
0: that. Well, if you're anti Facebook, you'll be glad to see this story from CNBC, which is uh, by Alec Kantrowitz, who is also a regular on the show. Apple's power move to kneecap Facebook advertising is working. Of course, Apple added with iOS 14 point something uh, a little pop-up that says, do you want to let this ad track you across other, this app track you across other apps? And of course everybody says no. Uh, Facebook, of course, the biggest victim of this. Um, Alex interviewed a number of people who had been buying uh, Facebook ads who are uh, well, he talks to a guy named Aaron Paul is a perf- something a brand new uh, job description, a performance Facebook marketer. <laughs> whatever that is, uh, pa- Paul has a company called Carousel. He says we've moved from spending millions of dollars every day on Facebook to just a few hundred thousand dollars. Because we don't have any information about what we're buying anymore. We're just completely running blind, he said. Now, in my book, making the job tougher for a performance Facebook marketer seems like probably a pretty good idea. I mean, I could see why he might not be too happy about it. He's moved his ad budget elsewhere, according to Alex, Snapchat and TikTok. But also, he says, silent killers like email. Oh, good. More spam. Uh, on Twitter Facebook marketers discussing Apple's changes almost unanimously agreed they're going to move off Facebook too could be a lot of money fleeing Facebook was do you think Tim Cook this was Tim Cook's plan
4: oh yeah he doesn't like Facebook or he doesn't like spying no it's was well, actually it's it's part of it's no it's, it's also like Murdoch when you fail at advertising, right? Um, it's good for and Apple. You find an alternative strategy. Number yeah. one and number two, you find whatever power you have to disadvantage your competitors who still depend upon advertising, which both of them done. And I'm not, I'm not equating Cook to Murdoch because Murdoch to me is is the is the gross devil of all devils. Um, but I am saying is as, as a strategy, it's kind of the opposite of the feature as a bug, the failure as a feature. Cantrowitz uh,
0: quotes. Uh, the CEO of 365 Holdings, a company that owns e-commerce brands and advertises extensively online. Uh, Kelsey LeRich says, I don't think Tim Cook is this benevolent privacy person. They're making strategic decisions, Apple is, that affect the market cap, not practical decisions that serve their customers or serve their users.
2: I think you can make a pretty good argument that giving users of uh, iOS devices a way to say no to being spied on that's a that's more than just strategy now the question i have is how long apple's purity on privacy will last
3: (laughs) exactly Um,
2: this this is you know as we know tim cook is going to live forever and never ever change his mind (laughs) uh so what's what's the next crowd going to do Apple's yeah. assembling one hell of a database about users of its ecosystem uh, uh and is has gone into some advertising itself at this point when i use platform. apple I news is gonna, when i use apple news gonna,
0: their their product is laden with ads are those ads right. are they coming from the publishers or are they coming from apple i think yeah, apple's selling so, ads
2: so we we just i just think we should Maybe say good idea for this, but uh, the idea that users have the choice. But uh, I I, I think the notion that Apple is going to be pure for a long time to come is kind of
3: unlikely. It's not a great idea to outsource our privacy enforcement to a two trillion dollar company.
0: That's a good way to put it. Yes. yeah, That's a very good way to put it. Uh who should we outsource it to?
4: <laughs> well, how about the people we elect oh, to make laws uh. to us? <laughs> <laughs> Government government is the worst threat to privacy, not its greatest protector. What is there anything uh, uh, Assuming that, that
0: both of you are right, is there anything an individual can do to protect their privacy
4: themselves? Yeah, don't say it. <laughs> at some level. I mean, I know that's clib, and I'm being a smart ass. But at some level if you put anything out there, once you give it up, I mean, I wrote a book about this. Does everybody's plugged your books tonight? I'll plug mine. Nobody bought it, so what the hell? Called Public Parts. Um, where as soon as you tell someone something else, you have lost control of that. It's not its not yours anymore. You may think it's yours, but in that transaction of telling someone else, whether it's one person or whether it's the world on Facebook, you've lost control of it. And you now depend upon the ethics of that other person and how they treat it. And that's and The one thing that-
3: the, the one thing that Facebook actually doesn't use is the content of stuff that you write in your comments on Facebook. You know, they 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 know what you look at on the web. Um, they know what you look at at the news feed. If you stop something on the news feed and, you know, just for like a couple seconds, they know that, oh, that oh, person's is reading it. Yep. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's the stuff that you do just doing stuff. Is what they collect, and that's why it's so dangerous. And the stuff you do not only inside of Facebook, but outside of Facebook. So, um, and and it's not just Facebook doing that. One thing, and maybe we could segue into uh, that, that New York Times story about how Facebook is, you know, promoting itself um, uh, on on Facebook, and and then something the Times is doing. But you know, you read these, these stories in the New York Times about uh, how facebook you know knows about its users and then kind of like maybe the 17th paragraph of the story there's a little parenthesis saying the new york times actually does this too um, <laughs> i love and, that and
0: then they kind of go <laughs> on yeah <laughs> oh by the way we collect information <laughs> and use it to advertise but, uh,
2: yeah. but this is story. Story conflict dealing. of yeah there's the conflict of interest in uh, big journalism in its coverage of technology that is uh mostly not disclosed and it, when it is Amen, disclosed man. is in paragraph you know 1700 is a big problem and the other problem well and other problem is that a lot of tech uh, a, a lot of journalism about technology in big media is not well informed about how technology works so that that's a second thing and to answer a question you just asked a minute ago, Leo, what can we do about it? Well, there's there's a fair amount. I mean, I've I lock down as much as I can in my browsers. I block trackers. Uh, I don't use apps if on on the phone if there's a mobile web version, and uh, I I use I, I do Facebook on my phone in a lockdown mobile browser it 's not perfect is as, as Stephen pointed out that means that you know when I slow down and look at something they they know that and and that sort of thing but there are there are things we can do that are at least somewhat protective and we just we we need more countermeasures uh, and we need them to be uh, available to us from these companies I would I think that this is a, um, something Congress should work on, is is basically to say, you got to provide opt-out. And it, in fact, it should all be opt-in. And and we're going to be waiting a while, but this stuff's, uh, it, it's going to get worse and worse unless we do something.
0: Yeah, Cory Doctorow has called uh, the uh, use of ad blockers the largest consumer boycott in history. Uh, I think the awareness of, privacy tools has grown intensely i mean our audience of course you know they're all over it but i think even normal people are now using privacy uh, you know protection in a lot of different ways it's become a matter of course i don't know how effective it is yeah companies like google are very good at at doing an end around on all these
2: browser fingerprinting and things like that are are the ad tech industry's way of fighting back but there it is an escalating war my students i ask them every every time i teach a media literacy course about what they're doing because i give them lots of tools or pointers and every year they're more savvy about what's happening uh before i start telling them things and i i think that's a uh, heartening trend
4: yeah yeah, I mean, I started a degree in engagement journalism, social journalism, and um, this year, more than ever, the students are more hostile to social media. But the conversation we've had is see the trees for the forest. You may you may dislike and it's fine to dislike Facebook as a company or Twitter as a company or TikTok as a company. But the people who are there um, are the ones who you w- want to end up serving. And You've got to go to where they are. And, and so turn your 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 aspect ratio around when it comes to how you deal with people who are, you know, there's two billion people you're gonna ignore them all you can't you've got to figure out a way to do it
0: you were talking Stephen. The, this tweet probably summarizes what you were talking about from daphne keller from the stanford uh, cyber policy center you could write a dissertation on these two news stories alone one the new york times covering facebook's efforts to shore up its reputation and then two a press release from new york times on september uh, uh, 11th they've formed a new team to help ensure confidence in its journalism and broaden its reach behind beyond coastal hubs and across political lines to
4: win this always up, drives us crazy is 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 why don't they trust us we'll just explain more about how we work you then should trust, trust us. us
0: you should trust us um Everybody advertises. Nothing. I don't have. I mean, I'm. I live on advertising, so I don't have any problem with that. Uh, you should all advertise more. If you want people to trust you, you should advertise on our shows. That's yes. Like, look, what yes. do we say? Podcasts you love from people you trust. Look, you know, come on. Uh, I, people trust the Times, don't they? No, yeah. no. It's the newspaper of record. Less than I used to.
4: Yeah, I guess. Yep. Yep. Uh, Especially for their two thirty coverage. Yeah.
0: Google is uh, buying a New York City office building for $2.1 billion, just as everybody's headed home. I guess they're not heading home. Google must know something we don't know. Uh, They need office
4: space. Do you know where this property is, uh, Jeff? It's on the west side next to the river, but I'm not sure. Uh, The story drove me nuts. It's it's down kind
3: of towards Canal Street on the west side, that little area where um, Penguin used to be. Um, you know, so it's, um, uh, maybe about a mile south of where the Chelsea headquarters is
0: the previous right. $2 billion building. <laughs> uh, Did not they buy a whole there? bunch of stuff at the Hudson Yards too? Did they buy no, it? Facebook. Oh, Facebook. Facebook. Oh, right, right, right. Facebook. Yeah. Is it ice. a
2: new building? I mean, what are the trends? This is a yeah, new building. A new it's
0: being built.
4: This is a new one. Right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, but what, I'm I'm curious what the office space trends are in New York. It had to have taken a big hit during the absolutely uh, during 2000 uh, 2020 and 2020, and at least part of this year. I'm just wondering if
3: if it's underwater. What what the overall? Well, I mean, it, it, look, it's greatly reduced. Um, I literally live across the street from where Facebook is now. And, you know, um, I could look down to this giant room where they used to have, you know, their you know, uh, big meetings, and you know, no one's there. That's how you get uh, your scoops.
0: Now I know a pair of binoculars yeah. and a parabolic micro telescope can do <laughs> I mean? You know, I, uh,
3: I have strong Wi-Fi, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Google but, uh, says it's also it's, all, it's also across street from AOL. Too, so oh, you, oh you're said
4: nothing. You want to know about that?
3: No. Yeah, yeah, but you know, but I, I think it's a long-term bet. It shows. They think they're going to be around through all their history um, Google uh, has had difficulty getting real estate for people you know who they have been hiring and obviously at this moment that 's not a, a, a pressing need. They bought this giant headquarters that they've been building um, in Mountain View, which is going to take a long longer to fill, but they have utter confidence that in a few years, they'll be in that situation again. And they could drop $2 billion on a building um, in New York City. And sometime during this decade, maybe not until 2026, 2027, um, they'll be saying, that building's packed. We need more space.
0: Yeah. Google also says they'd like to own the space because they like to reconfigure it as needed. In fact, remember, remember the silly video that we showed of the inflatable privacy wall? It took oh, yeah. about yeah. half an yeah. hour to inflate. <laughs> they're they're trying all sorts of things uh, to see, you know, what works. Uh, but and I think this is interesting because I don't think employees agree with this. But a lot of companies still have this notion that you got to have employees in the office to collaborate, to work together, to uh, crack to crack the whip over. And uh, employees are going, yeah, no. There's a very I think there's an interesting trend going on. Uh, Absolutely. With, well, a perfect example. There's 70 um, ships sitting outside of Long Beach right now that can't be unloaded because they're not enough longshoremen. They're not, they're not enough truck drivers. People are not going back to work. There's a strike in effect going on. They're saying we're not going to work in those crap jobs anymore. I don't well, know. I mean, and you they, you they, laughed at
4: me for reading the, the, the book The Box. Which was all you about were right. how shipping changed. It's, it's seventy problem, container
0: yes. ships floating outside of Long Beach right
4: now. It's crazy. Why we
0: well, can't well, get you know, our it's, it's,
3: more, it's, it's more pleasant to work in a Google office than to move big boxes around. Well, that's true. Um, you know, the, the downside of working in a Google office in California is a lot of people have to sit on a bus for an hour, hour and a half. Um, you know, with, with you know, uh, using the Wi-Fi, uh, you know, to go back and forth. But in New York City, you know. Most of the Google employees are a relatively short subway ride away, so um, I think the one of the problems filling that. it 's actually kind of
0: fun to work at Google if you don't have to hand handle a bad commute uh, I, know, I but there's a little bit of a employee revolt going on both at Google and at apple um, you know partly because of workplace issues uh, as much as anything and, else but
2: and they offer in in the bay Area they offer and i'm sure elsewhere the the most luxurious form of commuting there is which is a <laughs> those, bus those
0: buses have nice uh, leather with wi-fi yes. yeah i mean yeah. it's
2: like you know i unlike you know the rest of the commuters in the world who really really love driving 45 minutes to an minute hour and a half I, I, every day each way and and getting nothing done except you know uh, listening to bad radio this is like a you know, they
0: miss this so
2: much. It's been a while since you've commuted,
0: Dan, I think. I don't think listening to that radio is <laughs> any longer a... <laughs> I need a sarcasm emoji to go with that. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think that's, But Google only does that because they have to, right? Because they're trying to attract employees. I mean, I yeah. I still think there's a move not to go back to work. I think a lot of people... I agree. Even yes. engineers, especially engineers, they can work at home. They well, don't wanna... child,
3: child, child care is like an issue, you know. Yeah. So the, the that's another shortage you know um that that's the one thing you remember when Google tried to do their own you know uh daycare you know and they wound up spending millions of dollars and you know going in this thing and hiring these um you know child psychologists experts to be the teachers and uh, and it was in santa Cruz and it was a kind of a crazy situation that kind of blew up,
0: yeah. <laughs> How long before the next evil genius says, I was raised at Google Childcare? Right. That explains everything. <laughs> everything. That's all you need to know. It was a Montessori. I'm going to take a break. We're going to wrap this up. If there's a story I missed, something you guys want to talk about, you want to share your uh, something you're working on, please do. But first, I want to tell our fabulous audience about stamps.com. This is, this is such a brilliant thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing you can say, I'm not going to do anymore. I'm not going to go to the post office anymore. I don't need to go to the post office anymore. I love the post office. I love the guys. But uh, frankly, I got everything I need at my desk with stamps.com. Stamps.com lets you mail and ship right from your computer. You don't need a postage meter, special ink, or anything like that. The printer and the computer you have, all you need, you'll save time and you'll save money With stamps.com. And by the way, not just on U.S. Postal Service uh, packages, letters, but on UPS as well. They've just added UPS. This is huge. Stamps.com has been around since 1998, an indispensable tool. Nearly 1 million businesses, including ours, we've used them for almost a decade. Uh, We love stamps.com, whether you're an office sending invoices, if you're an Etsy seller, an eBay, or an Amazon seller. Forget the, you know, wrapping it up with brown paper and twine and licking stamps and putting on the top. That does not project professional. You can do, your packages can look so professional thanks to stamps.com and you'll save time and money. You don't have to fill out any form stamps.com will do it for you automatically. You don't have to fill out the buyer's address stamps.com will pull that from your whatever software you're using. You don't have to put your, your return address either. They'll print it on there. Nice. Even on an envelope, but nice with the logo of your company and everything stamps.com is amazing. And it doesn't, you don't have to get anything. You can do it. You could, before the show's over, be up and running, printing official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send. You'll get discounts you cannot get at the post office on postage and shipping. You'll get discounts on UPS as well. Once your mail's ready, schedule a pickup. You could drop it off if you want. No traffic, no lines. It is amazing. Now, stamps.com has added the new rate advisor tool. So that you can use it to compare shipping rates, to compare timelines, to find the best option. They've always been really good at saying, you know, this could be media mail. It's saving you money. This rate advisor tool is awesome. If you haven't tried them yet, I don't know why not. We've been customers and partners since 2012. I'm a big fan. We've got the USB scale. We have a really good offer. You save time and money with stamps.com. There's no risk. We've got a great promo code, TWIT. You get a special offer. It includes a four-week trial, free postage, a digital scale. There's no long-term commitment, no contract. Here's what you do. You go to stamps.com. Up in the right there, you'll see a, that microphone. Click that. Type in TWIT. I guess you can just type it right next to the microphone now. That's nice. And then hit return. You'll get an amazing deal. $110 value stamps.com promo code twit. You're going to love it. Never go to the post office again. If you're not using it, I don't know why it's a must stamps.com. Um, the CIA and NSA use ad blockers just to add to that conversation. (laughs) This story from vice and motherboard. Um, the intelligence community has deployed ad blocking technology, according to a letter sent by Congress and shared with Motherboard. So, if it's good enough for the FBI, the DEA, the DHS, the DoD, and the CIA and NSA, it's good enough for me. Just don't block our ads. The part of the reason they do it is because of mal for what they call malvertising, malware in the the ads. These automated ad uh, sales technologies don't aren't able to screen for malware, so. That's a good reason to, uh, to block
4: them. Anything else uh, I missed that we want to you talk may about? You not like this one, but I found this just interesting. The Amazon high-tech hair salon. Yes. It opened in May, but have you mm. seen this these reports from there? I, I I had no idea. We talked about it when they opened it. Uh, I haven't, you know, it's in, where is it, Paris or somewhere? I think it's London. London. East London. Yeah. That's like Paris, but in English. Uh <sighs> <laughs> yeah, but with with no gas and nothing on the grocery yeah. shelves now.
0: Here's a uh, article. I went to Amazon's high tech hair salon and and virtually dyed my hair pink, and then got the best haircut I've ever had. Writes Kate Duffy for Business Insider. Seventy two dollars. Well, okay. Exchange rate. Yeah, that's. It's only five pounds, but there you so go. So,
4: unsurprisingly, it's using virtual stuff. Yeah. So she was able to take a picture of herself and the, then see herself with pink hair. The real ca- The real or. question is why Amazon? Why? That's my question. Yeah. What? What is, what is this a business that they want to start? No. I don't think. Well, I think they're trying out things. She's sitting in the chair, and and this and the and the uh, stylist is talking about products. And she uses her finger to point at the products to learn about them. I think it's I think it's captive time too. It's an advertising opportunity.
0: Oh, maybe.
4: To so think a little bit cynically.
0: Yeah, it's, this is this is it's inscrutable. Jeff Bezos is inscrutable.
4: But he's taking the other the other important story of the week. He's taking Captain Kirk into space. Aww. So how much can you hate him this week? To boldly spit split an infinitive in space. Well,
0: not space, <laughs> sort near space, space adjacent. Yeah, close. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, suburbs thereof. <laughs> William Shatner will be the oldest man ever to go into near space. Ninety years old. Um, I don't know if he's paying for it. Apparently, there is a. Uh, documentary that yeah i think i think there's a (laughs) documentary teams paying for or maybe maybe jeff said you know it's good for us to oh yeah it's good PR
3: so so the last one so the last launch which i I went to back back to van horn for that (laughs) uh they had the (laughs) They had the oldest person ever in space, this great woman Wally Funk. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the youngest Longer. person, who is the, the son of a hedge fund guy who <laughs> bought his son a, a ticket to space. Right. Not not as heartwarming a, a story. But now, is they're going to top the oldest person? Now they got to find an even younger person. Oh,
0: they put a baby in space, maybe. Eventually, they're going to get to that. You know? Or Palmer Lucky, because he's kind of a man child. <laughs> he could, he could go. Did you wear a cowboy hat, Stephen, when you when you went to uh, Van Horn? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I'll lend but you I mine. I have a really good. Yeah, I want a picture hat. of that. Everybody in the capsule apparently brought their cowboy hats, which was very. But yeah, strange. they
3: gave them out. Jeff had them, and then they wore the <laughs> little boots.
0: Will you? Uh, another way that uh, you can spy on Facebook, or maybe Facebook can spy on you. There's the new portal, the new Facebook portal. Um, This one's portable, portal, the portable Go, $199. It's got a battery in it. So, this is, uh,
3: we didn't talk about the head of Facebook uh, hmm. hardware, Boz, is going to replace uh, Shrep, right? Mike Truffler. Shrep is, so yeah, tell us, you know,
0: the inside, the ins and outs. So,
3: it is really interesting because. Bos, Andrew Bosworth, who was an early Facebook employee, is sort of Facebook's utility man. When you know, there's a trouble area, he goes in mm-hmm. there, and he's a very controversial character. He can be very... Um, you know, like gruff and, you know, like kind of a bull in a china shop. And uh, some of us offend people. He wrote this memo that talked about the ugly truth of Facebook is, yeah, we might, like, yeah, some people might die, but we're good for the world.
0: Um, and he is said, Is he that, the guy who said yeah. Facebook is a car? No, that was uh, Adam Mosseri, the head of Instagram, yeah. who said, Cars kill people. Facebook seems to like analogizing what they do to everyday household objects. Remember they had an ad that said Facebook is like a chair? Remember that? yeah
3: yeah yeah well, Facebook is like Facebook,
0: and we have to deal with that yeah. but
3: uh but Boz you know got the job when they were struggling with mobile. He took over the team that did mobile advertising, was really successful, and he was about to go off on his honeymoon before he did that, and you know Zuckerberg talked him out of that, and then uh talked him out of the honeymoon they, well they postponed it for a year Jeez. Um, and then he got when Things after the Palmer Lucky thing, uh, things were really in trouble. Virtual reality at Facebook and um, and the hardware division, he pulled that together. So now he's gotten control of that. And you know, um, uh, the CTO who was in charge of all the AI, um, who very famously revealed to the New York Times that he was often in tears of what Facebook did. Um, Now he's getting out of Dodge. And, you know, it's poor Boz is going to have to, uh, you know, follow the trail of tears into that office.
0: Shrepp is uh, only 46, but I imagine he has acquired a little bit of filthy God, lucre. God. So he probably is just quitting to spend more time with his money, I would guess. Well, Bo- Boz is, you know, pretty well off, too, let me tell you. That's got to be hard, you know, when you got a bunch of millionaires <laughs> to ke- who are working, you know, long hours to keep them, keep them in line. Um, all right. So, yeah, thank you for the update on the Palace intrigue. Shrep Shrep as they call him will continue to ad- advise the company in a part-time senior fellow role. He'll be That means he won't be leaking. <laughs> yeah. So, he'll be eating lunch on the roof <laughs> yeah. with the other uh, senior fellows. And uh yeah, won't be leaking. He'll be helping with recruiting technical talent and developing the company's artificial intelligence initiatives. Yeah. He, he's still under contract. He worked for Mozilla. I didn't know that before he went to uh, Facebook. Any other stories I missed? Big stories?
3: I want to put in a plug for something coming out tomorrow. All right. Uh, You know, I've been doing a series of conversations with this guy named Larry Brilliant, who's an epidemiologist. Love Larry Brilliant, yeah. Who helped eradicate smallpox many years ago. And he's one of the best people to talk about. About COVID, the first conversation we had in March 2020 was the second most read story ever in Wired, and was Conde Nast's most read story in 2020. We've had some subsequent conversations, and we had another one. There it is, um, out tomorrow, which I
0: uh, think
3: uh, people can benefit from reading. He's always, you know, right on the mark.
0: I will read it. I'd be very interested. He is a a, a public health expert and he will be very interesting. I'm sure to hear. He was a
3: consultant on the movie
2: uh, Contagion. That's right. Yeah. Is he optimistic or pessimistic at this
3: point?
0: Yeah. Give us a leak here.
3: He's okay. I mean, he's ultimately, you know, he, he always sticks to his guns. that We will get past this. But the frustration he has that we haven't been able to get past it and why uh is palpable and my first question to him was have we blown it and his, his answer is uh, we've blown it several times and we talk a little bit how we're blowing it now
0: yeah even in march 2020 he said we were blowing it
3: <laughs> yeah, well that, that was that was that was the the the,
0: the trump version yeah yeah he well, said we need lots more it? testing did we ever get all those huh? tests i don't think so no Whatever happened to that? I can't. kind well, we of shut it,
4: shut down manufacturing because we didn't think we needed. Them. Oh, we don't mm. need
0: tests. Or yeah, we don't need PPE. We don't need tests. We we got the vaccinations. What do we need?
4: Yeah.
2: yeah well, who would believe a cult of COVID would emerge that are
0: <laughs> no, no kidding
4: No <laughs> kidding. It's the IQ tests we need more than the PCR tests. <laughs> um, Barry Diller's uh, going to buy Meredith. No, Diller, so this was my magazine reference. Uh, my, my, personally, my my worlds collide. Entertainment Weekly, the magazine I started, part of Meredith, soon to be under Barry Diller. Brides, which I used to work with, believe it or not, at Cotty Nast. Uh, well, he did such a great Twitter. job with Newsweek. Oh, God. Exactly.
3: Oh, um, Lord.
4: Uh, about.com, which I worked with at the New York Times, is under Diller. It all comes together in a very weird amalgam. Um, when Meredith bought Time, Inc., and then sold off parts of it, Time, uh, and Sports Illustrated and so on, but it was they were the brilliant marketing company, and they were going to be the future of magazines. And then not so much. Two point five billion dollars to to Barry Diller, and then he'll do what he does to it, and magazines kind of just go. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like
0: a like a like an episode of Succession. It's like he's the old guy who hasn't figured out that magazines are dead yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Uh, Except Wired, Stephen. Except Wired.
0: Oh, uh, Wired! Great magazine. Love it. Online. <laughs> right. It's not a magazine. It's Wired
4: online. It's Wired. It's not a magazine. It's that's wired. Right. It's
3: Wired. Yeah, it's yeah. Wired.
4: We are that's, a brand. That's that's the the, the, the new uh, uh, underscore. It's 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 not a magazine. When I was at Condé, I I tried to argue uh, when they, when they went through one editor change and, and and I said that I I actually wrote a memo suggesting that we retitle it uh, unwired. Wired is the last technology
0: magazine still standing, pretty much. Yeah, they've all disappeared.
3: Actually, I have to say, Wired, Wired is doing pretty well. We've got a lot of readers. We picked up, and we, you know, uh, we have a subscription business that, that does really well. Um, you can't read; my, you don't get my newsletter, my weekly newsletter, unless you're a subscriber. That's right. And you know, and we, and and as an extra punishment, we often paywall it. So, uh, if we go to the column, of the newsletter, uh, you get a little thing saying, Well, you have to subscribe to read it. But it's only $5 if you follow that link. For a whole year. It's For a such year, a deal. including the newsletter, the print magazine, <laughs> and unlimited content on, on the web.
0: I keep forgetting, it I subscribe every month because I feel like that's oh, only five bucks. It must be monthly.
3: Yeah, you. It's that's like 112th or it's even nothing. less of, of, of a sub stack of a single sub stack.
0: Yeah. We charge seven bucks a month for club twit. You're, you're putting me to shame. Uh, anything, Dan, anything I missed, anything you want to plug, what are you working on? Uh,
2: I, I'm not working on anything particular, but I do think the, uh, uh, something that is worth mentioning is the infamous, uh, NSO group, uh, Pegasus spyware was found on the several phones of a Hungarian journalist who just happened to be looking into the uh, affairs of the uh, leader of Hungary who's moving fast toward China-level dictatorship. Uh, we It's yet another issue that politicians, I think, actually like the fact that this stuff exists i don't think that they really are against it and we have to find ways to fight back
0: well that's an excellent point And nso group uh claims they don't sell to uh, totalitarian regimes but as far as we can tell every single example of it, discovering there's their spyware and it, iphones it, is for it, bahrain is for hungary it's for it's for totalitarian it, regimes
2: it's just a pure coincidence that it ends coincidence. up on, yeah. on journalists and activists yeah. and human rights yeah. uh, people's
0: phones. It's just it's not our total intent. We didn't yeah. we didn't think so. <laughs> we didn't plan it that way. Uh, yeah, actually, Apple right before iOS fifteen last week fourteen point eight came out to patch a uh, Pegasus uh, zero click exploit that went right through the Apple Blast Store that was supposed to keep those uh those non-click uh hacks away so even yeah, apple is message- scrambling to keep up with these guys
2: yeah the iMessage architecture is kind of bad it's yeah, hard to they have to they really it. have to fix yeah. that
0: yeah thank you it's so great to have all three of you really uh an honor and a, a privilege for me to be able to talk to all three of you dan gilmore uh thank you for being here uh, arizona state university mm-hmm. is lucky to have you at the walter thank cronkite you. school uh, DanGilmore.com. Um, I'm going to have to go back and, and read my copy, read the media, and find out what you warned us about because it happened. Whatever it was, I think it happened.
2: Remind <laughs> me when you read it. I forgot.
0: <laughs> I told you, people. Uh, thank you for being here, Dan. Thank you, Stephen Levy. Uh, always been one of my heroes. I love every book you write. I read every book you write, uh, and I'm thank you. Proud to have him. I even paid five bucks just to read you on Wired. Thank you. <laughs> Editor-at-large at Wired. Jeff Jarvis, of course, you'll be back. Uh, will you be back on Thursday? Or yes, I'll be back Wednesday. Okay. Oh, yeah, i be back Wednesday. 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 Thursday. Thursday, Wednesday, I'm sorry. Wednesday, jeez. I didn't move the show. I I know
4: where I can move you in Florida.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just
4: there. Good. Is it nice? The food good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they, right. walk in, they walk in at every meal. It's nice. Oh, that's nice. Okay. They have a happy hour once a week. Not long from now i'm afraid uh, tell me about it <laughs> it happens fast jeff
0: jarvis buzz machine wait a minute i'll do the whole thing director of the townite oh. center for entrepreneurial and journalism at the craig newmark graduate school of journalism at city university of new york frank sinatra called him a bum uh <laughs> he is of course the esteemed jj thank you jeff thank you everybody thank you, Dan. Boss. Thank you Stephen. we do this week in tech Rarely do we have such an esteemed panel I have to say it was really fun. Uh, but we 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 try. Every uh Tuesday every Sunday rather 2 p.m. Pacific 5 p.m. Eastern time 2100 UTC although I think I wish we were in Samoa they've abandoned daylight saving time. I don't I don't know when do we change? After Halloween. So we got another month but I think summertime is ending in some jurisdictions. So we are currently at 2100 UTC. We'll just leave it for that. You can do the math. Uh, you The wa- reason I mentioned the time we do the show is you can watch us live at YouTube. Well, I'll tell you what. Best thing to do, we have all of the different live streams, YouTube, Twitch, Ustream, at one place on our website, twit.tv slash live. You choose the stream you want. There's also audio streams there, thanks to Spreaker and others, twit.tv slash live. If you're watching live, chat live, irc.twit.tv. That's the free one. If you uh, are a member of Club Twit, we've got a great Discord for y'all. Club Twit members pay 7 bucks a month. They get ad-free versions of all our shows, access to the Discord. Of course, the Club Twit Plus feed, all of that is available at twit.tv slash club twit. This show also is on YouTube uh, after the fact, so you can watch there, or you can download episodes, audio, or video from our website at twit.tv. Best thing to do, be subscribe in your favorite podcast application. And if you do, and they allow reviews, do me a favor, would you? Do me a solid as the kids say. Uh, leave us a five-star. They, they don't say that anymore, do they? Leave us a five-star review and, and let the world know you listen to Twit. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you next this time. Another is Twit amazing. is in the camp. I'm on the Twit. Doing the Twit.